This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com. We are a podcast not only talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I am Sid. And with us today is our special guest, Casey Minovsky article. Casey? Casey? I think he's dead. Oh, shit. Well... That's, That's okay, great. because we have our other special guest, Maxie Bernard! Maxie? Maxie? Uh-oh, he's dead, too. That's oh, two man. dead guests. But but we still have our third guest, Josh Dunham! Please don't tell me he's dead, too. Like, like Andy Twitter needs him. Oh. And Crunchyroll's Hime-senpai just noticed him. I know, that was a cool thing that happened. Oh. Well, Sid, that's like three dead guests. I don't know if we're ever going to get any more guests on the show, because they're going to be like, Hey, don't go don't go on Manga Mavericks, you will die for some reason. You will die, or you won't know when, you're record- when you'll be recording, so you'll be in purgatory of never knowing what day you're actually going to be recording. (laughs) Yeah, that was a bunch of crazy funny stuff that happened. Um, Yeah, we need to be better about scheduling and stuff. (laughs) Well, it's it's hard when you're scheduling people to come on the show, like, month in advance or whatever. It's it's also hard when, like, you want to schedule somebody on for an episode, but then, like, one of us comes to them, to the same person separately and be like, hey, we also have this other podcast we want you to be on. It's not really Manga Mavericks, but it kind of is. You're still following us, right? (laughs) No? Okay. Yeah. It's also hard when you don't know that Twitter allows you to message more than two people at once, so you futilely are, are messaging people separately when it would save a lot of time and effort when you just did it all at the same time. Guys, we're recording this. I'm just a warning. We're recording this, like, really, well, not really early. I got, like, four hours of sleep, so I'm going to be on my A game today. Just watch out. I also got four hours of sleep. I've only gotten four hours of sleep a day for the last week. Now we're just like Ichiro Oda. Now we know how he feels. We understand. We don't because he's been doing this every day for the past 20 years. Yeah, we, we're, not, we're not manga artists. You know, I'm not an you know artist. quote that Oda said recently, that came out that Oda once said to his editor recently? Oda told his editor to die for One Piece. That reflects the amount of dedication that Oda has for One Piece, that he's actually willing to die for the series. I'm mixed about that because I, despite my gripes with it lately for like the past couple of years, honestly, I still love One Piece. I still read it every week. And it's like the one thing in Jump that I will read, even when I'm behind on Jump, I will, I will go out of my way to read One Piece among everything else. But Oda, you gotta chill. I'm just, I don't know. I feel i feel like that's great and all. I appreciate the dedication, but it's also kind of worrying at the same time. I kind of worry about the guy. Like, I was i was already worried when, when we found out what his, what his work schedule was like. I mean, most weekly manga authors' work schedules are pretty hellish to begin with, but Oda goes, like, above and beyond uh, what most manga authors put out, I feel like. Um, 
but that that's because of his dedication, not because he feel I don't know. But at the rate yeah. he's going, even if he gets to the final chapter of One Piece, like as soon as he finishes drawing it, he's just gonna wipe out and crash and die in a pile of ash, like Joe Yabuki at the end of the no Joe. Oh, spoilers for a series. I knew, that's- I knew, I knew you were gonna say that because I was thinking the same exact metaphor too. I mean, it's not only the most iconic anime ending of all time. It it is. It's it is kind of hard not to get spoiled on that if you're into anime. But Everything anyway. parodies it. So yeah. Anyway, if you couldn't tell by the bit we were doing earlier, um, we we were trying to schedule some guests and yeah, things got a little crazy. Um, but I think I think now we have an idea of um what our schedule is going to be like for the next uh, month or so because we are uh. I don't think we've mentioned it on the show just yet, but we're we're planning on doing more manga fights. Mm-hmm. Um, how how regularly we're going to put them out? I don't know. It's really going to depend on how much time I have to edit them because yes. I do have I, like I'm the one who has to edit them. So. We at least have three more planned for this year, uh, and the first one of those we're going to be doing it on Inuyasha to commemorate its 20th anniversary, which will be next month on November 13th. And as a special guest for that episode, we are bringing on Josh Dunham. Because apparently he likes Inuyasha. Yes, just like me. And then we both fight it out to see who, which one of us loves Inuyasha the best and can argue that it's actually good. I, I get to be the MC for that, so expect uh, expect a lot of phoned-in energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I'll try. I'll, I'll try, Try I at least. Try. try. I'll try. I'm very. I'm a very low key person when I want to be. So most of the time. But the MC has to be fired up. <sighs> Man, that's like the opposite of my personality. <laughs> but we'll 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 just we'll have to see. I'll try. Mm-hmm. I promise I'll try. But um, we mentioned a Manofsky article, Casey earlier. Uh, we are going to have him on next episode, hopefully to. Uh, to maybe talk about some horror manga. Yes. Because uh, uh, after this episode, our next episode will be out the week of Halloween, so... Yeah, like November 2nd, it'll probably be out. Yeah, so I mean, Halloween will have already come and pass, but I mean, you know, it'll... I, I I think it'd still be nice to talk about some horror... Like, I'm probably gonna try to read some stuff, Sid's probably gonna read some stuff, um... Uh, Casey will probably, I'm, I'm kind of having him on, so maybe he can give me some recommendations just in case I don't, I don't get to, I like a time escapes from me, like always, and I don't get a chance to read some. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should already. I, I think he gives some pretty neat insight on, uh, com- not just manga, but comics in general, cause he's just, he's just a fan of comics overall. Oh yeah, he's a well-rounded comics aficionado. So he really knows his stuff. So if you love comics from all countries and all forms, you definitely should follow him. And, uh, you know, you'll, maybe you'll learn some new things, get some insights on some really cool comics that you might have never even heard of. Yeah, he's, he definitely talks about a lot of comics. Uh, most, most of the comics he talks about I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always really interesting to see his insights on that. Casey is also, you know, famous recently for, you know, going through all of One Piece beginning to end, which he did over the course of the year. And uh, he's been a guest on the One Piece podcast twice now. And uh, he's he's like, a, he seems like a very fun guy to talk to. So I'm very excited to have him on. And then uh, I guess we also mentioned Maxie Bernard, who we're gonna, I don't know if he'll be on right after 
Casey, but I do want to have him on soon-ish. Uh, he is, uh, personally, I- I've been wanting to talk to him for a while. Um, I've done podcasts with him before, before that, like, unfortunately, we weren't able to release because of a lot of, a variety of reasons. Aww. I won't really go into them, but, uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can fix that by having him on this show and maybe talk about, uh, whatever we, whatever we wanted to talk about. I don't know, just... Nothing in particular, I guess. Just, just in general, maybe, maybe if he has any thoughts on like whatever news we talk about or, uh, or whatnot. Um, I have a few ideas about what I maybe want to talk to him about, but we'll we'll save that for when the time comes. Uh, if you don't know who Maxi is, uh, he he used to do a podcast about Show to Jump called Friendship Effort Victory, which uh, he used to be kind of on and off again, but. I don't, I think he officially, like, doesn't do that podcast anymore, which is a shame because I always thought his, uh, I always thought that his, his insights on Jump were really interesting. Hmm. I thought he was gonna resume or at least do some more manga-related projects in the future. I'm sure he's gonna do other manga-related projects. I just don't think he's, I don't think he's doing that podcast in particular anymore. Um, or if he is, and I don't know, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to him about that when we have him on. Definitely but. we're gonna talk to him about the state of Shonen Jump and like, well, how do you think of the lineup and where the magazine is at now currently? Because Maxi is a huge fan of Jump. He really knows his stuff. He really loves the magazine. So I'd love to hear his thoughts on the Jump lineup as it is now and where he thinks that it'll go from here. Yeah, like I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know if this sounds pretentious or not, because I, I do appreciate, you know, a lot of the opinions I discuss with a lot of the people I know over on Twitter and on my podcasts, variety of podcasts, but I like, out of, out of anybody I talk to about Shonen Jump, I like, I actively always look forward to Maxi's opinion about Jump and the lineup. And, uh, he's like probably the, one of the few people I can have like a civil conversation with about manga. <laughs> uh, I don't have a lot of those, unfortunately. Sid is definitely in that category. Oh, thank you. If, if he weren't, I wouldn't be doing the show with him, honestly, which is a good thing. <laughs> Um, but you know, that, that's, I think, I think that's all, that's all the stuff you can look forward to coming up on the show. We, we got, we got a lot of plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's lots of cool things in store for Manga Mavericks in the future and in uh, 2017. Yeah. So we should probably get right into some of the stuff we want to talk about. Cause, uh, we recorded about news, but we, we cut it out just because we wanted to get the last episode out in time for, in time for New York Comic Con and Matsui's mm-hmm. panels. So it was a little time sensitive, but, uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll kind of rehash some of our discussions that we weren't able to release, unfortunately. Um, at along least on with, a couple things. On a couple things, yeah. And, and along with some news that we, uh, some news we didn't get to talk about, we wanted to, but then all the other stuff that accumulated while we didn't talk about news and stuff. We, we, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's just get right into it. So, uh, a new Jumpstart came out. Yes, there's another set of Jumpstarts that's going on currently. Uh, Malgum Distortion was the first one. Came out in the 45th issue, which of this recording would have been uh, the last Monday. And then uh, the other Jumpstart is something number one. What was it again? I forget the name. Uh, the other Jumpstart that came out or is 
I guess, yeah, we'll, 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 it'll be out by the time this episode's out, but we'll definitely discuss it on the next episode, will be uh, Tomohiro Hasegawa's uh, Spring Weapon Number 1. Yes, and that will have been, that will have come out in this week's issue by the time this episode is out. So that that's neat. I like that. I, I, I always like new jump starts. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess just real briefly, what, what, what did you think about, uh, what did you think about Amalgam? It's a very promising series so far. I really like the art style. It, I mean, it feels very familiar in a way I can't quite place, but also a little retro in a way, too. It actually kind of feels like something, a little bit of a throwback to maybe something I would have read in the 90s. It does have that kind of vibe to me in terms of the tone and, you know, the how it plays out. I think what I like about it uh, is that it kind of does a really good job of establishing its characters, but it also doesn't like waste, a, and it also doesn't really waste a lot of time in terms of getting to where it needs to. No, it gets to the point real fast. Yeah, so f- for one thing, like, I also like the mystery di- direction it kind of starts out as, because it starts off with, you know, this main character he has girl problems right like he he oh can't confess to his childhood friend crush and so there's this misunderstanding but he clears up the misunderstanding and then they agree to go on a date and it's like oh interesting their feelings are clear and they're actually going to date let's see what happens and then uh you know afterwards he gets into an accident trying to save this little boy and then you're like oh is this going to be like you you hakusho he's going to be like turned into some ghost demon thing and you know he has to come back try and find a way to come back to life or whatever and then it doesn't turn out to be that because then we see him in this weird scientist mad scientist facility thing and then he's being turned into some kind of monster creature and there's this intrigue with this classmate who's like this spy who's working for a different organization who claims to be be a fighter for justice or whatever stopping whatever this evil organization is doing and then he transforms into this really horrific looking monster that looks really impressive but then he breaks out of it just because you know the simple desire that like he promised to go meet up with his girlfriend and so there's it hits a lot of beats very quickly quickly but in a way that's easy to understand and easy you know to connect with and get behind like i like this kid i like all the characters really and i and I do want to end the chapter ends in a way, you know, it ends with the hook with the samurai guy, you know, uh, says he has to kill the main character because it's for the sake of the greater justice or, you know, peace and whatever. So it's like interesting hook at the end of the first chapter there, too. So it just does a lot of elements really well that gets me interested in the in the world and story and like makes me want to see what happens next. Uh, so there's a lot of good elements in the chapter that I just really enjoy. And it's not like the story itself is necessarily original. There's, you know, there's a bunch of stories about, about, uh, characters being transformed to monsters or whatever. But at the same time, you know, it, it executes, you know, these familiar tropes and concepts really well. And so I, I really much appreciate that. Yeah, so I I think I liked it enough, but the like crazy, very sadistic tone of the series so far, mm. and how how creepy it can get, 
it feels more like if if Jump were to have their own take on Tokyo Ghoul, almost like it if it felt very similar to me. Eh, I don't know. You don't think I mean, so? If, if the series becomes about people who are like monsters and being discriminated against and have to deal with this internal dual conflict, like maybe like Tokyo Ghoul is really a kind of a take on like vampire stories or whatever. I mean, it's this, it's like this hybrid of zombie vampire stories, and like this has all these, you know, allegories to like discrimination, racial or LGBT or whatever. And so, amalgam of distortion just so far doesn't really seem to have any of that. Like, it just seems like a fun pulp action premise. So, yeah, I again, I just meant specifically in tone. I felt like was similar, but I'm sure the story will be different. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure it'll it'll probably tackle different. Uh, it'll probably tackle different themes. I'm sure. Tonally, it doesn't seem that dark to me. Like the first one of Tokyo Ghoul is like Kaneki is. I don't. I don't know, man. I thought it was pretty. I, I thought it was pretty dark for a jump manga. There, are, I mean, there are dark ideas, but the tone isn't dark to me because compared to Tokyo Ghoul, we have the first volume of that. Kaneki is emo. He's like moody and moping around. Oh, I'm a ghoul now. My life sucks. Why is this happening to me? Herbert, Herbert. But like, it's in this in the first chapter of this, you know, the main character like hat regains like his self confidence. It's like he he breaks out of like his transformation out of his own volition. Like, he's optimistic about his future, you know? He's not, like, letting this whatever happened to him get him down, at least not yet so far. So it's not really on the same lines to me. I mean, it feels more like kind of a, a normal battle shonen tone to me. So I, I, th- I think that I don't see it, like, really going down the, a more darker, more contemplative lines like Tokyo Ghoul. But, you know, there are some good horror ideas in the series, so it's actually a really cool series to debut in October, uh, you know, during the month of Halloween and whatever, so I really like that. Like, it's a lot of very horrifying artwork and imagery. Like, it, it definitely has some very creepy stuff and some good horror stuff that's going on. I mean, I I like just pretty much everything about what it uh, sets out to do. I guess the one thing that, like, I'm like, eh, maybe that's overboard, is, like, the scientist woman who's literally eating guts, like, guts from people, apparently, so it's like... Yeah, that that really grossed me out. <laughs> that's that's kind of exploitative, kind of trashy thing. And, and she, like, she literally gets sexually aroused from... Um, I forget what it was in particular, but like it just had a lot of like really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she gets aroused by bloodshed and like people getting mutilated, whatever. Like I, I like my crazies, but like that's a little too trashy for my taste. You know, those kind of villains are a little too much for me these days. You know, I, I, I'm not not too big a fan of them. I prefer a little more subtle villains. I was kind of surprised about how explicit that was, honestly, because it, it's one of those moments where I was like, this this is a magazine for, like, kids, right? Kids read this. Well, remember Nero, Colton, that was only a decade ago. And Death Note. Yeah, Death Note, didn't, Death Note didn't go as far as Nero. No, but the Death Note was still a, still a pretty big, um, uh, unorthodox title for Jump at the time, so... Yeah, I'm I'm talking I'm but in terms of content, in terms of like the dark stuff 
I think Nero kind of has that beat in terms of like disturbing concepts and ideas. It it does, but I'm I'm saying I would still put it in that category of I would never expect to read this in Jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That's why a lot of people argue that Death Note is really a Seinen series. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, okay, I I, I like the Malcolm enough. I I liked it a lot, but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I th- I thought, like you said, I thought it was executed well. Um, yeah, and I w- I would read more of it. Mm-hmm. Why not? I'm really interested in it. I think it has a lot of potential. I don't know if we'll see it after the Jumpstart Mon in the English Jump, at least for a while. I mean, it depends. Red Sprite didn't have a great debut, so I'm a little worried that might get out. But if if it does, I mean, at least this would be a good substitute. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, I don't know. I know there are... I've, I've talked to a few people who are like, yeah, Red Sprite kind of sucks. And I'm like... I mean, it's not like the most amazing thing ever, but I think I still think it has a lot of potential and I really want to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely not a strong contender out of the gate like The Promised Neverland was, I think, but... I think it's been picking up with every chapter, though. Like, I think it's like really... It's, it keeps getting better and better with every chapter, so I really like the way I it's agree. been developing. And I do think like there's some really cool art and action sequences in it, and... Uh, yeah, I just, so it's kind of it would be kind of a shame to me if it had sent prematurely, but at least the way the story is designed, it could probably do so tell a short story without you know feeling too rushed. Like it, I think Gakiyohote managed to end up that way, and that it managed to tell like a good short story, even though it's clearly ended way ahead of when it was supposed to. So yeah. You know, it could end up like that, and that would be at least okay. Yeah, you could definitely tell. You could definitely tell Gakuhote like resolved a lot of its big plot threads like a little faster than you would have expected them to. Yeah, but if Red Sprite isn't long for this world, I hope Amalgam is what replaces it in our lineup. Uh, so uh, moving on, Sid. Obviously, you were uh you were at New York Comic Con last weekend, or yeah. I guess a weekend or two ago. Well, technically not the weekend. Like, the Thursday and Friday. And mostly on Friday, because I was only able Still. to go for a little bit on Thursday, but yeah. T- tell us about it. I, I, I want to I hear some stories. Hmm. Well, okay, so I was planning to go earlier on Thursday, but, like, the morning I had to finish up this animatic, and it took, like, fucking two hours to finish loading. <laughs> <laughs> had to send that to my thesis advisor, and then, so at one o'clock, I was able to go. I was like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll be able to catch some panels, but no, it's not really any good panels between the time I got there and whatever. You know, I, one thing I really have to remember to do next time is to f- make sure I get the tickets, like, pick up the tickets beforehand, because the line to pick up tickets... It's like exhaustingly long. It's like yeah. you you know, you can't really even imagine it. It goes like a couple blocks back. It's like insanely long. It would take three hours to actually wait through that. But luckily they were like comic New York Comic Con like uh officials who were like giving out the badges to people who had printed out their like confirmations beforehand. So luckily enough I was smart enough to do that, so I was able to get the badge without too much trouble. So I was able to do that, and I was able to get in, but I didn't really have a whole lot 
to do because I only had like three hours before I had to leave so I could get to class because I couldn't miss class that Thursday because I had a test. So that was unfortunate. But, you know, I spent most of my time on the show floor, went to a bunch of booths and, uh, you know, bought some stuff. It was pretty, it was pretty good, even though I didn't really get a lot to do. Friday was the big day. That was the day I spent all day there. But, you know, one day really isn't enough to do everything at Comic-Con. But I tried to make the most of it. I wanted to get there in time for the Viz Media panel. Didn't quite manage to do that. But, uh, so I missed that. But I made up for it because I went to the South Park 20th anniversary, like, exhibit thing. And I took Ooh, a bunch neat. of neat photos with, uh, with, you know, that depicted iconic scenes from the show, which was awesome. And I really enjoyed that. And then I went, tr- did the Ash vs. Evil Dead exhibit a bunch of times because they gave up free stuff each time you went into it. And I wanted the foam chainsaw thing they were giving out, but I never got that. Aww. I at least got a hat, though. So I got something useful. A hat's <laughs> more useful than some stupid foam chainsaw. But 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 the foam chainsaw, I, I would have gone with the foam chainsaw. That's just the kind of thing I, I would love to own. Yeah, I would have liked if I would had gotten the foam chainsaw, but you know, at least I got something useful instead. But uh Yeah. Yeah, so you know, uh after that, you know, let's see what did I do. Well I guess the first panel I went to was this really cool uh panel with comic artists breaking down a script page like in real time. So you had these professional comic artists who work at like uh, a bunch of different publishers. So they broke down the script page from a uh, James Bond comic book. And, you know, they didn't have any character designs. They didn't have like any even understanding of what the story was beforehand. This was like a page from the very end of whatever script this was. So all they had was the script and like some of the directions like for how it should look. So it was very interesting to see like how each of these artists composed a page just based on script directions. And like that, it was that it, really neat. It, it was really neat, and actually, a lot of them were very similar. So, I mean, that shows the experience of like these professionals. So, I found that really interesting and really informative to watch and see in action. After that, I went to the Asuna Hasakura panel, the you know the author of Spice and Wolf, and that was really fun. Like, I actually, you know, I haven't I haven't read read or watched Spice and Wolf yet. You know, I really wish I had though, because Asuna Hasakura is a super funny dude like super cool dude like uh he uh, he has a really good sense of humor you know in terms of how he answered questions and you know kind of described things like uh one of the most memorable uh comments was like what he thought about the uh character designs for the anime and he was like hmm, you know i felt that Holo's breasts were a little too big because she's supposed to have small <laughs> boobs, but it's okay, I guess. So that was pretty funny. Uh, so pretty he seemed like a cool guy. I really liked to, I was really interested in his perspective on economics, which I found really interesting. So I definitely, after that panel was done, I was like, oh man, I want to go and read some Spice and Wolf now. Unfortunately, Yen Press was sold out of all the Spice and Wolf books. I was like, man, that sucks. Because they were also doing signings with Hasakura after the panel. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish I had read Spice and Wolf and bought a book beforehand so I could get 
get it signed, but oh well. Yeah, appar- apparently Spice and Wolf is popular. Oh Who yeah, the, the room is full. Totally packed. Mm. I mean, the line wasn't, we'll get to it, but the line wasn't as long as a certain someone's panel later in the day that I don't think even uh, uh, they predicted it would be that long. But yeah, it was it was a packed room, like a lot of enthusiastic fans. You know, I felt a bit a little bad for Hasekura Sensei, though, because a lot of people were asking questions about the anime. And it's oh, like, boy. oh, man, you know, you, you wrote the books, you guys. I think he's more interested in your opinions on the books instead of the anime, which he didn't really have that much involvement in. But, you know, it is what it is. And people like watching anime more than reading books, I guess. Whatever. But- Honestly, like, I... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, like, I can't imagine... I. Yeah, that is unfortunate, but I feel like, uh, I mean, me not being at the convention, I feel like, uh, something like the, uh, cause then they get, um, I'm gonna get this guy's name confused, uh, the, the author of the Dragon Ball Super manga over to New York Comic Con for a signing? Yes, Toyotaro also came to the signing. Uh, his thing was on Saturday, so I wasn't able to go to that, but. Well, yeah, of course, but I was, I was gonna say, I can't imagine what what that must have been like. <laughs> yeah, that... Especially since Riz hasn't released Dragon Ball Super graphic novels uh, yet. But but so. at least somebody has Dragon Ball Super. That's the thing. I... Sorry, I will promise I'll be over with this in a second. It's not it, Funimation's fault, it's Toei's fault. Blame them for being... No, 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 I, I know. I know. I, w- I, w- I would never blame Funimation. This is not, it's not Funimation's fault, but it just, it boggles my mind that everything but the anime is, is getting some kind of, uh, some kind of release. That's true. But, like, I, I was, I was talking about this on Twitter a little while ago. Like, they're bringing out toys before the anime, and it's like they're literally going out of their way to just give you give us everything but what we want. And like, I can't imagine what the what uh, what his boost might have been like because it's like I don't know. Like, I I hope I hope he didn't have to go through too many annoyances, but I'm sure he did. I like your passion, Colton. But save it for the end of the episode, because this is Comic-Con time. Dragon Ball time will be later. No, you're, you're right, you're right. I just... I, I was just making a comparison. Go on. Yes. So, the Hasakura panel was a lot of fun. And then after that, you know, uh, guess what I had after that to look forward to? Um, um, lunch. Did you go, did you get lunch afterwards? I actually did get lunch afterwards, but I had to, I had to very quickly get lunch because... Because? Because afterwards, the panel that I was going to next was the Yuse Matsui panel. Yay! Yay! I hate you so much. I wish I could have, like, uh, left my body, took taken over your body, and got to talk to Matsui myself. Yeah, actually, we need to backtrack here, because I forgot to mention in the morning why I was late to the Viz Media panel. The reason I was late was because I was waiting in line for like an hour to get into Kinoikuya to buy a volume of assassination classroom to get a special wristband that would allow me to come back to the store later in the night to get something signed by Yusei Matsui himself. Ooh, cool, cool. Yes, but I had to wait like an hour 
because and I had I was worried the entire time because like oh man I hope that they don't run out of the wristbands before I get into the store because that would suck and I had to try Barnes and Nobles the next day because I mean at least they were doing it twice so I had a second chance but I didn't want to like do I didn't want to spend time on the next the next day because I was not getting any work done that Friday and I didn't want to like, spend time unnecessarily not doing work the next day because yes uh, yeah. in, ca- in case you in case anybody forgot Sid is a hard-working college student yes so anyway I just managed to be one of the last few people to get a wristband because you know it was limited to 100 people so I redecided of relief there that I got the wristband, I got the books, and uh, so I rushed to Comic-Con, uh, didn't get it for Vizmenia, but then, you know, yada yada, I already said everything about that, and now that takes us back to uh, this moment, where me about to go to the Monthly panel. So I kind of figured from the morning that Monthly would be decently popular, but I didn't think that he would be quite as popular as Kishimoto, so I didn't think the line would be that long, as long as that was. Because if you, you if you had gone to New York Comic Con last year and saw the line for the Kishimoto panel, that thing was insane. Like I don't even know how they fit that many people. Like they didn't do like a normal room that like sectioned off a section of Hall B to hold this panel in, but it was like an insane amount of people. And they were doing all these like restrictions and like instructions on how to even attend the panel. It was ridiculous. So I didn't think it would be that complicated for Motsui. But I did know that the line would be still pretty long. So I figured, you know what, I'll get there at four thirty. The panel starts at four at five fifteen. So if I get there at four thirty, I should be okay. I underestimated, I, I severely underestimated how many fans of Yusei Matsui there were, there were going to be Ooh, the, yeah. at the panel. Uh, it was a really long line, and it was a worryingly long line because the, the Comic Con attendee was like, "There's no guarantees you'll get in if you're this far back," and I was like, "What?" You're saying this at 4.30? What? (laughs) Oh, no. What have I done? But, so, I was worried the entire time, and so it was a long hour to get in, waiting, worrying, will I get into this panel? Oh, my God. Then my phone ran out of battery, and I was like, oh, no, now I have to wait without anything to distract me. Oh, no. Well, it didn't run out of battery, like, then, but it was getting low on battery, so I didn't want to use up my power, which was good, because I was able to use it at a critical time later during the panel. <laughs> but, uh, yes, um, so I waited in line. Uh, I took a cool picture with this Bish- this really good Bishamon from Norigami and Korosensei cosplayers, which was, was pretty, pretty cool. Those were pretty good cosplays, but still like super worried the entire time. And uh, I managed to be one of the last people to get into that panel. And I was like, Oh, thank God. I didn't get a great seat. I wasn't really able to see the stage very well because it's huge pillar blocking me. Oh, but man. like I was in the room and that was good enough. Because at least they had, like, those projection screens. So it was like, yeah, great. Thank God I'm here. And, yeah, Matsui, Matsui Sensei was awesome. Like, he he's also, he was also super funny, like, super really cool to hear talk about his work. 
lots of interesting like details he gave out about how how he went about creating assassination classroom like uh he says the idea for assassination classroom came to him just one day just from the scene of uh students you know like from the first chapter the scene of the students getting up to shoot their teacher. Like, he got that image in his head, and he was like, I should make a story about this. And the way he approached Assassination Classroom as a story was, like, he drew... He wanted to draw something that, like, his he he felt his audience would want to read. And I think that, you know, it's true of Assassination Classroom, because I think that this idea of students wanting to kill their teacher, but really wanting someone to support them and give them really good advice would definitely hit a lot of hearts and touch a nerve with its audience in Japan, Yeah, you know, young children. So I think he was right on the money with that. So that was really cool to see some of his insights on Assassination Classroom and like how he went about creating it. He did a live drawing of uh, Koro Sensei dressed as the Statue of Liberty, which is really cool. Uh, and then he gave that away, and I was like, oh, I hope I get it. I didn't get it, but I congrats to the person who did. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I saw them tweet about that. That, that was, that was yeah. kind of cool. It was a cool drawing, and uh, so that was really cool, really cool stuff. Uh, and the crowning moment, like, so I was I was sad at first because they weren't going to let people from the audience ask Matsui Sensei any questions. They were only going to answer, like, questions from uh, the Funimation and Viz Twitter and Facebook, and they were only going to do one each. So, you know, one from the Funimation Facebook, one from the Funimation Twitter, one from the Wiz Facebook, one from the Wiz Twitter. So it was like, oh man, I guess I won't be able to ask Monster Sensei any questions. Uh-huh. But, but, to my surprise, the question that Viz chose from their Twitter, out of all the questions asked, was one of mine. Would Koro Sensei assassinate Nero, which was also a topic that we discussed on our uh, using Monsui manga fight? Which you should really listen to that if you haven't. By the way, it's really fucking funny. Oh yes, I love, I love uh, that episode. I, I've actually listened to our manga fight like more than once. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. But yes, uh, so uh, Matsui's answer was surprising. It's like he. He he didn't want to when when it came to a showdown between Corus and say Nero, he wasn't sure if he could say who would win. But as for the question of whether Nero would be able to assassinate Corus Sensei, he felt that Corus Sensei all the way wouldn't be you know defeated by Nero. So that was interesting. Yeah, that 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 was interesting because uh, we I think we even talked about on on our manga fights episode about how um, I think I brought up the point about how like. How Koro Sensei could, like, he could possibly create. He's smart enough to probably create some kind of puzzle or mystery or j- just something advanced and layered enough to kind of keep Nero busy and maybe get him off his tail. So that that's that's kind of in line with what we were talking about on manga fights, which I thought was kind of interesting. So the rest of the what I did at Comic Con after that panel doesn't matter because the only other thing that matters is when I went to Kinoikunya. That night for the signing. And, you know, Viz had originally scheduled it from 8.30 to 9.30. They thought that they would be done in an hour. Uh, they were wrong. <laughs> they were very, very wrong. Uh, I was waiting in that line until 11 o'clock. Jeez. I was waiting since 8.30 and it took me till 11 o'clock to get to Matsui Sensei. 
And there were people behind me, so I don't think they finished until 11.30. So they went two hours over what they originally planned for. It's a long time. It is a long time. And, like, I, I could tell, like, that the employees at Monster Sensei himself were getting very tired because they did not expect, like, it to take this long. So it was really great, though, to meet Monster Sensei in person. And get something signed for get something signed for him. I got a special Shishiki, and then I got a a volume of Assassination Classroom signed out to Colton because uh, they were only allowing like one volume to be signed. So I was like, "Yeah, I get. Yeah, can you sign this out to my friend?" And it's like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" So that was good. Yeah, so I did that. It was really really cool. Maybe really happy. And it was like, you know what? It was worth waiting two and a half hours to meet this guy. I was I was very happy. Oh, it, that that that's that's really nice of you, Sid. I I will I will remember this. Oh no, no problem, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to like actually get you something for your birthday or something because that that I this is my first time learning that like you spent what what a total of like four hours in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean collectively, I guess that that's that's ridiculous. I didn't I didn't expect you to go like this far and beyond. That's that's I really appreciate that. That's really nice of you. Thank you. No, oh, no problem. But yeah, so that was a long, exhausting day, but <laughs> it was a fun day, and so that was my New York Comic Con experience in a nutshell. I mean, there was more stuff I did. I could go on and on, but I don't want to because I already feel like I've been talking. 10, 20 minutes on this. Uh, I mean, I, I I thought a lot of it was interesting. Oh, thank you. I mean, there was more interesting stuff that happened, but I don't want to go on because I, I feel we should move on to the news now, actually. Yeah, well, we'll try to get through some of the news as quickly as we can with some of this stuff. Right. So going back to Spice and Wolf, at the Spice and Wolf panel, uh, Yen Press was like, you know, we made this giant omnibus of all the Spice and Wolf volumes, but, uh... Apparently, it's not over yet. Huh. And so, yeah, there are actually two new Spice and Wolf series that Hasakura Sensei is going to be uh, writing that will be coming out next year. Uh, one is a direct continuation of Spice and Wolf, Spice and Wolf Spring, a log, which just continues the story and is about them running an inn, I think. And then uh, the other one is Spice and Wolf, New Theory, Wolf and Parchment, which is a sequel to Spice and Wolf and is about the main character's daughter, Miyuri. So both of those series are going to be be published and uh, Yen Press will be releasing those next year. So that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, I definitely want to get into Spice and Wolf now after, you know, Hearing, uh, seeing Hasakura Sensei and, you know, hearing his thoughts on economics and, you know, just how he writes a series. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah, like, I've talked to people who, like, absolutely despise light novels, but love Spice and Wolf. So that, that kind of makes me want to check it out myself personally. Yeah, people have noted that it's a very different kind of light novel series in terms of, you know, its focus and, like, how it's written. So Hasakura's perspective on economics and, like, how, and, how he wanted to approach writing a fantasy series and how he got the idea for Spice of Wolf and what he wanted, how he wanted to go about writing it was very interesting to me. So that's why I want to really want to check it out. So that was really cool. So, that, so look forward to lots more Spice and Wolf on the horizon. And then uh, after that, we got a bunch of Kadansha stuff that they announced at Comic-Con that they licensed. 
uh, 10 manga, 10 manga that they've licensed. That's a lot of manga. So, beginning off, let's say licensed Taiki Kawakami infuses, uh, regarding my reincarnation as a slime, which is a tentative English title, which is another story about a middle-aged guy being transported to another world, except now he's a blind slime demon, which is interesting. That sounds funny. I guess. Yeah, it sounds funny, I guess. I I can see how it could easily return to exploitative, but, you know. <sighs> maybe, maybe, there'll be, maybe he'll meet other slime uh, people, particularly slime <laughs> girls or something. I'm sure that's going to happen. It kind of looks like the slime creature from Dragon Quest, whatever its name is. I feel like that's the point. And it probably is the point, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, after that, we got another fairy tale spinoff, uh... So this is drawn by Kyoto Shibano. It's fairy tale Rodonite, Rodonite, which is about Rodonite, yeah, which is about the saber uh dragon slayers, Rogue and Sting, and then I guess it also has some stories about Gajil too. Hmm. So okay, I I remember liking Gajil enough, at least. Gajil's pretty good. I don't really care about Rogue and Sting, but Kajil's alright. Yeah, there you go. Uh, after that, we have Masawo Sumugi's Love and Lies, which is about people being assigned to marry someone else when they turn 16. Mm. So they don't have to look for people like the government chooses who you marry. As if, as if the government doesn't control enough. Am I right, guys? <laughs> uh, I'll see myself out. <laughs> yeah, after that we've got Kirugumi Defense Squad by Hoshino, who is a character designer on Penning Drum. Hmm. And it's about a 14-year-old girl oh, no. who is chosen to be the guardian of the world to fight against an invasion of extra-dimensional beings. And she fights alongside these animal-suited guardians who transform into really attractive boys. So you know who the audience for that series is. Yeah, I have an idea. Yep. <laughs> so after that, we've got Kiss Me at the Stroke of Midnight, which is a girl who is looking for a fairy tale romance, but meets her prince in the form of a perverted actor. Oh, boy. The series is described as a reality-based Cinderella story. It actually does sound kind of interesting. I want I, I would... Like, want to see what what's up to this one. Okay, I, it, it, it could be interesting. Then we've got Frau Faust by Yamazaki, who did the ancient Megasus Bride, which I think has an anime version of the season. Yeah, so this is the take on the classic Faust legend, where Faust is a badass female scholar. And this is for ro- this is for romance, supernatural, fantasy, and Joycey fans. Everyone, really. Yeah, you know, I'm interested uh, after that, we've got Wake Up Sleeping Beauty from Morino, which is a boy meets girl story, but the choice is that Ghost Bridge says it's a girl. So it's a super natural romance comedy. Okay. And Kendrick describes it as one of the in-office favorites among their new titles. So that's interesting. That, that, that is interesting. After that, we've got Waiting for Spring by Annie Shin, 
which is a girl looking to break out of her shell, finding friends in a form of a boys' basketball team. So that seems like a mixture of romantic comedy sports series. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like there could be some good, like, dramatic moments in there, maybe. Afterwards, we've got Hiroyuki, whose previous work was Dojin Work, who, uh, four-panel gag comedy, Ao Hao Garu Clueless Girl, has been licensed, and, uh, it's about a clueless high school who gets into hijinks. So, it's basically, like a, well, it's basically similar to a lot of four-coma yeah, if you something. like stuff like Nichi Joe or Azumagadayo, it's probably something like that. Yeah. And then finally, we have Land of the Lustrous by Ichikawa, which is takes place in the distant future where a new life form called Gems are born. And these gems must fight against moon people who want to attack them and turn into decorations. So Steven Universe. <laughs> that is exactly what I taught up while reading this description. <laughs> that, that, like, that literally sounds like Steven Universe, almost. It's great. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, those are the licenses. I have never read any of these series before, but I am interested in a few of them. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd read a few of the. Like, I don't think any of these are, like, top priorities, but, it, you know, if I saw them around and... I know I had I had the uh, and I was in the mood. I I'd, I'd pick them up. I mm-hmm. I pick some of them up. I'm definitely gonna keep an ear out for uh, what the reviews are when the ser- when you know the graphic novels for them get released. So I'm, I might base uh, what I decide to read based on you know what other like just the consensus about how they are. Um the um. Uh, what was it? Waiting for Spring, I think, might be the one that, out of all these, I'd be the most interested in. Yeah. There's, a lot of them are pretty interesting in terms of out-there concepts at the very least. Yeah. But uh, I, I hear there are more. Uh, there's more licensing news out there still. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. Uh, Viz licensed a bunch of stuff. Before Comic-Con, they licensed two series, the Yuri manga After Hours, which is a heartfelt story about a young Korean woman coming into her own, finding her place in the world, a coming-to-age story, really. So it's about a romance with a cool older woman. So that's interesting, because it's licensed for Yuri stuff. And that's then good. they also licensed a new shoujo beat, well, a new shoujo title for their shoujo beat imprint called Fuku Making Noise, which has a, has a, you know, Definitive perspective launch date for the first volume in March 2017. And Viz describes it, the series as a girl who loves to sing, but defends a music composer. And they part ways and music is, with music as their only common ground and outlet to express themselves, it's about, you know, exploring unrequited love. And then they reunite later in high school, so it's interesting. Yeah, m- music music manga is something I'm a little more interested in reading with stuff like uh, Your Lie in April and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's, that's something I'd really like to get into at some point. There's a lot of good ones. I, I'm a fan of various music manga. Beck and Nana being two of my favorites. Oh yeah, so Beck is a Beck, pretty big one. 
Beck is like probably the best manga about music, like in terms of like how it approaches music and trying to get across that sensation visually. Okay, okay. As well as exploring the industry. Nana is more interesting for, you know, it's for its exploration of relationships between people. Yeah. And then all that stuff. But in more so than its music business commentary, but yeah. So this, this seems like an interesting enough series. And then Wiz announced at their, at their panel on uh, Friday that I missed, unfortunately, but they announced a bunch of licensing news. So, so they, they, they announced Nero, right? Right? I'm afraid, no. Oh, man, that makes me really sad. Such, yeah, such, I was such a missed opportunity. Like, yeah. man, I really, I really, just, just a short tangent, I really hope that, like, uh, just, like, the sheer turnout for Matsui, like, I, I hope maybe, like, that surprises Viz enough to be like, oh, maybe we should pick up more of this guy's works. <laughs> I, I hope so. That would be nice. But, okay, I, I guess I'm just gonna go back to going, just sitting in my corner, sobbing, hope, hoping one day that I get to read Nero officially for once. Yeah. I don't know, there's still a chance to do it in the future, but it's disappointing they didn't do it this year at New Year Comic Con with Moss Revisiting it. I was so hoping for it, too. <sighs> okay, but I guess, what what did they license it? Well, this is no surprise to anyone, but they licensed Tokyo Ghoul Army, what? the sequel to Tokyo Ghoul. <laughs> right, what? They licensed the sequel to their best-selling manga title currently? Wow, I never would have expected that, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty surprising, con- considering just how well it does, you know, like, it's something, it's like probably the one manga title other than One Punch Man that we can never get away from talking about. yeah. And in some respects, it's it does better than One Punch Man, so ah uh, yep yeah. So I mean, Wiz's releases of Tokyo Ghoul are gonna be ending like next year. So now they have Re to put out after that. So the train will keep moving. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then they have a Vampire Night Memories, which is the sequel series to Vampire Night. Hmm. There, there you go. Well, not a series. It's like a collection of short stories that take place after the end of the series. Ah, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so for Vampire Night fans, that's for you. There you go. Uh, a notable title that is not related to it's that's not related to a sixteen franchise that this has is Golden Kamui, which is about a veteran of the Russo-Japanese War who heads to Kaido to find gold to take care of the wife of his fellow soldier, and he teams up with an Ainu hunter to find a hidden stash of gold for my criminals, and it's apparently really important that this guy fights a bear in the series, because this makes an order of that. The, the, this, is, this is a series I saw people, like, flip their shit about. Like, this is, this is something I saw excitement over. People are going to be buying this. I know that for a fact. That's cool. Um, and I've heard very good things about it in general, so, like, this is, this is something I, I like, I actively want to read, because I, I talk to people who, like, never shut up about this manga. Yeah, so, that's interesting. I actually, I never heard of the series before now, but, you know, I'm definitely interested in it, so I'll check it out when this does release it. 
And then the other things that, you know, they've got coming up is Boruto. Uh, it's not going to be published in graphic novels soon. And Viz is going to release a special Pokemon Adventures art book with never before seen manga content sometime next year. Ooh. Which is interesting to me. I have like their comp, I have their like convention exclusive art book. I picked that up at their boot while I was at Comic Con. And that has some really cool artwork in it. So I'm interested in seeing what this other art book will have. As far as the never seen manga content goes, I have to wonder if they're referring to the Mount Silver special chapters that were published in like a special magazine a couple years ago. Cause those were never collected in any graphic novel. So that would, that would, or maybe they're referring to completely new content entirely. So I'm going to be interested in seeing exactly what that never seen manga content is. And so finally, we're going to talk about the very last bit of news at now announced at New York Comic Con that we're going to discuss, and that is a new addition to Shonen Jump, the magazine. Oh, and that is Ruby, the Ruby manga that's drawn by the Dogs manga creator Shiro Miwa. Yes, that will be added to the magazine of Weekly Shonen Jump, the digital, ma- the digital magazine, not the website, which is a little surprising to me, but they'll be adding it to that as a monthly series. Mm, okay. Uh, so, now, Colton, do you have any opinions on Ruby? Um, I remember when... I remember when I think Rooster Teeth was first releasing trailers for Ruby, and I remember watching the very first trailer for it, and I thought, this is kind of cool, like... I don't know, like, I I, th- I thought the trailers were cool, but, like, I I just, I never really got around to watching it. I I have a lot of friends who are definitely into Ruby, and, again, never shut up about it, but, I don't know, I've just, I've, I've never gotten around to actually watching the series in general, but, um, I mean, I don't know, it's not like... It's not like something I like. I want to get to right away. Like I'm like I'm not gonna start it like right after we stop recording or anything. But it's it's something I wouldn't mind maybe giving a try at some point. Okay, so to explain my thoughts on Ruby, I need to tell a bit of a story. Okay, so you know, way back when Ruby was coming out, like I never heard of Rooster Teeth before. I didn't really watch a whole lot of Machinimas. So, but I watched the trailers and I was like. Mm, this is some cool action, but like I'm not really sold on the CGI. Not really sold on whatever story it is. I couldn't really get a sense of story. And then like when the first episodes come out, came out, like a bunch of my friends who were watching it was like, "Oh man, this sucks. This isn't as good as Red versus Blue." Man, who is this? Mon- Why does this Monty Ohm guy think he could tell a story? Yeah, so it's like, oh, this sucks. This is the most pointless thing ever. And it's like, okay, I guess I'm not going to watch this then. So, you know, I was like, oh, this series sucks, I guess. So I'm not going to watch it for like three years. And then, you know, last Saturday or whatever, it's announced, hey, we're adding the Ruby manga to Shonen Jump. And I was like, hmm. My initial question, oh, why'd they do that? I thought the series sucked. But then I was like, wait, does this series really suck? Like, I kind of took it on the word of my friends, but it's like, my friends have been wrong before, so maybe I should actually read this and watch the series and see if it's actually any good or not. So I watched the first two episodes and was like, eh, this seems like a pastiche of anime cliches and archetypes without really doing anything interested with it, and I'm not totally sold on the CGI. 
But I did think that the fight scenes and fight choreography was interesting. So then I was like, maybe I'll skip ahead to season three because I heard I saw that season three was a tournament arc. So I figured at the very least, I, the, I would be able to see some pretty cool, interesting fights, and that would also give me a better, you know, gauge of whether the series got better or not in terms of storytelling. So I watched the first episode of season three, and then I watched the second episode. Then I watched the third episode. And then by the time I knew it, I had finished the season. I was like, God damn it, my friends led me wrong again. This is Evangelion's 3.33 and the Rurouni Kenshin films all over again. This is a pretty darn good series. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, uh, I I really like the show. And it's like, it's pretty cool. Uh, I do. I really like the way that the series kind of approaches this idea of fairy tales, like all the characters are named after like fairy tale characters and like, um, fair and like myths and folk tales. It's like a huge part of this series and like kind of the lore of the series. And I, I like the action scenes. They're really good. Uh, the CGI, they definitely got really a lot better at, in season three, like the character acting, like the animation, all of it's pretty, really good. Like there's more of a sense of weight and, uh, it's, it's really good animation. Uh, the, and I love the music. The music in the show is just freaking amazing. Uh, Casey Lee Williams is like the singer of the song and the, the, the song instrumentals are composed by, uh, her father, Jeff Williams. And like, they're a hell of a team because all the songs and and that OST are just Top notch. This is like one of the best OSTs I've ever heard in any show. I love it a lot. Actually, it's funny you bring up Jeff Williams because he also does um, he also does the uh, score for a lot of Red vs. Blue, which I personally uh, I thought was probably one of my favorite parts of Red vs. Blue. Yeah, I haven't seen Red vs. Blue at all, so I didn't know Red vs. Blue is pretty good. I'd recommend it. Like that. That's that's the one thing from Rooster Teeth that I've ever like actually watched. Honestly. Mm-hmm. So I was really sold on the third season. Like they did, they clear, they shook up the status quo pretty heavily in that. And I was able to understand the story pretty well and get into it, even though I had watched, you know, really the previous two seasons, I could pick up on things and get into things pretty quickly. So it was like, oh, wow, this is good stuff. And so late in the past week, I've been like kind of on a Ruby binge, I guess. Like I've, I've been listening to the OST a lot because I really like the OST. Even though some of the songs are super sad, so they make me feel sad. So I, I, I stopped listening to the OSC after a while. I was feeling <laughs> sad. And then, uh, and so then I watched all the Ruby Chibi miniseries that they're doing, which is actually pretty good. It's probably one of the few Chibi comedy spin-off things that I actually like. Because they, they have a good sense of humor with that, and they do what I like with that, and that they exaggerate character quirks to amusing comedic levels. That hmm, okay. I, you know, in the same way why I like Harvey Chan so much. I, I like Ruby Chan, Ruby. And that's also, the, the, those Chibi spinoffs are also, really shows how far they've come with their CG animation. The way that it's animated is really good. Uh, and it looks like, both the show, both the third season and those chibi spin-offs look like something that would be fit for television. Whereas the first season is so wonky, like I don't think it would pass up the standards. Mm-hmm. And so then I've been going back and I watched the first season, finished the first season. So I'm, I'm gonna, I, I went back to watch the first two seasons. So I finished this first season. I haven't started season two yet, but I'm glad I skipped ahead to season three because the first season is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. 
like, in terms of storytelling. Like, not a whole lot happens, and the characters take a long time to really become likable. And a lot of the development for a few don't doesn't even come until the very end of the season. And, like, the main villains of the series are are literally only in the first and last episodes of that season. Oh, wow. So it's like, wow, the plot really doesn't get going at all in that first season. So that was, I can definitely understand where my friends were coming from and like, oh man, nothing happens in this show. This sucks. This is uncanny valley <laughs> level of animation because there's a lot of really rough animation. There's some problems with voicing and there's some problems with weight and running animations look really wonky. But I know from watching the third season that they improved, but definitely that first season, they were really working out a lot of kinks and it's definitely a really rough product. But yes, but overall, I'm, you know, pretty into this series now. I'm looking forward to the fourth season, which is going to be out uh, this Saturday. So I'll probably keep up with that, even though I didn't want to keep up with more shows. Like I got into this, so now I feel like watching more. So now I'm pretty interested in this manga version since, you know, I'm inter- I like the show now. So I'm like, I'm interested in it. I don't know what to really expect. Apparently it uh, retells the story, some of the stories from the trailers of the show. Hmm. You know, the initial trailers, like, expands on them. So that might be kind of interesting. The, uh, yeah, I again, I really like the trailers. So that's about as much as I know about Ruby. So maybe I'll read it. I mean, the thing about the trailers is, like, I like the a- how the action scenes, but I didn't really get a sense of characters or, like, the story from... The trailers, so that didn't really impress me. Well, yeah, I I, I can understand that. I I I like the trailers purely purely because of stylistic reasons, honestly. Yeah, but I'm interesting to see of whether the manga expands on the story a bit and maybe fleshes out like the events in those chapters because they they definitely could use some expanding. Like the Blake trailer in particular, like. Actually watching it, I don't really get a sense of why Blake betrays Adam and the White Fang. Where I know now because I watched, I watched like the third season of the show, and then I watched the actual show, the first season. So I know now, but like in the trailer itself, I didn't get like what was actually going on. Okay. So they, so the manga could do a better job of like explaining that kind of stuff and like you know setting that kind of stuff up. So I'm interested to see what the manga, how the manga, how the manga approaches adapting what is basically an American property. Yeah, this this is really interesting. That's kind of interesting. It is very interesting, like kind of thing that they're doing here. So is there is there any word on uh, when when they're going to start running this in Jump yet? Or they haven't officially announced it, but I would expect it. I mean, we'll know tomorrow whether they're actually going to do this or not, but I feel like they'll probably do it next week, like an issue next after next, to coincide with the release of the fourth season this Saturday. I could, I could see that, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I, they'll probably do a Seraph-style thing where they like publish the chapters bi-weekly until they catch up. Yeah. And then they'll, do, then they'll ship to the monthly schedule. Because from what I understand, the chapters themselves aren't that long, so even though it's a monthly series, so uh, I think they can probably do that without too much trouble. Okay, I'll um, I'll 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 give it up. I'll give it a try. I'll read the manga, and uh, I'll probably mention it on a on a future episode, if if not if if not the next one. Yeah, we can share our thoughts on it when it comes out. Um, 
But that's a cool thing. Um, damn it, Sid. Now, now I kind of want to try Ruby, and that's not something I ever thought I would want to. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I would want to either. And then I watched the show, and I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. This is good. All right. Um, that's That was a lot of stuff. A lot, yeah. lot of near Comic-Con stuff. But it was it was all interesting. I really enjoyed listening to that. Uh but uh, Sid, I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna give you a chance to kind of rest your vocal cords there because you did a lot of talking. Uh, yeah, I think I talked for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I don't know. I don't know how long that was. It was a long time. It was a long time. You do you do the New York Times list and the book scan list. Give me a break here. Fine, fine. I'll take care of that. Well, I'll get some water. Uh, what a guy, right? Water. Am I right? I'm still pretty tired. We need water to live. I guess if you're a pleb. Um. <laughs> What if you're a pleb? I don't know what my... Ch- I'm not... I'm really, like, I'm in that mode where, like, I just kind of say anything, and I think, that's a joke, right? People will find that funny. Then what do weebs drink, Colton? Uh, I, what does the bona fide, hard-blooded otaku drink? Um, uh, Monster, apparently. Um, I think so. I don't know. Monster sucks. Um, let's get on to the New York Times bestselling list for uh, for manga for the week uh, of October second through the eighth. Um, at number one, uh, new new release on here or new entry on the list. We have uh, Yona of the Dawn Volume Two. Very surprising and interesting. Uh, you know, Yona of the Dawn being so successful. I, I enjoy the series a lot, so I'm definitely happy to see this. Yeah, I was gonna say, I hear Yona of the Dawn is very good. Like, I'm, I'm planning on hopefully checking out the anime at some point when I get the chance. That that that's a, that's another thing on my backlog that I I do want to start uh, soon enough. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna be definitely checking that out. Yeah, I've been reading the manga, and then after I finish a volume of the manga, I watch the equivalent anime episodes. So that's how. I- I decided to go about experiencing the series. Okay. And so I really, I really like it. It's a good historical fantasy series with an interesting, uh, some interesting protagonists. I thought, I thought you were getting water. I already had the water beside me. Okay, then. Um, (laughs) I don't know what that was. So, uh, at number two on the list, another new entry, we have Food Wars, volume 14. The end of the stodgy air arc. Yeah, which I which I think was the last arc of the newest anime season, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So with volume 15, those of you who have finished anime can uh, continue the series from there. Yeah, Food Wars is, like, I really want to, like, buy the buy some digital volumes for that. Because, like, I could just jump in uh, where the anime ended. But, like, I don't know. I, I like, I want to catch up to... Uh, the jump releases everybody tells me i don't have to but my brain is like no you have to you have to you can't start in the middle with something that's blasphemous um (laughs) (laughs) like my brain just doesn't work like that unfortunately but yeah food wars is something i i want to read at some uh like really soon too actually um yeah i understand what you're talking about i was like that with hajime no Wippo. it's probably why i'm not more than 30 chapters into it i haven't even started it yet uh Oh boy. So, uh, at number three, uh, surprise, surprise, we have Tokyo Ghoul Volume 1 with its previous rank, uh, on the previous list being number nine, with it, uh, being its, uh, 66th week on the list. So that's a lot of weeks. Uh, and then at, uh, number four, we have another new entry, Assassination Classroom, uh, Volume 12. I think this got a boost from Yusei Matsui coming to Comic Con. That's very possible. Um, 
And then at number five, another new entry, uh, Black Clover Volume 3, which... Ha! Take that, Black Clover haters! I guess, yeah, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> See, I don't even hate it, I'm just kind of like, it's a thing. But that's not fair, because I haven't read more than, like, three chapters of it, honestly. Um, I, I, that's another thing I want to read at some point, that I keep telling myself, I'm gonna read this, but I just don't get around to it. Mostly because I'm like, do I want to read it? I feel like I should, but that's another battle I have to fight on my own. Uh, at number six, um, again, another new entry, we have uh, The Demon Prince of Momochi House. I've never heard of the series, uh, but apparently it is from Viz, so I, I, I honestly have no idea what this is, so I can't really comment on it. Um, but at number seven, uh, we have Berserk Volume 1, apparently with its previous rank being number six on the list. Uh, making this its second week on the list, apparently. I'm kind of, it's kind of weird that now of all times, Berserk Volume 1 appears on the list. Like, I would have expected it back when the new anime season was premiering. But I guess, like, after that ended, everyone was like, Oh, wow, I want to watch, I want, now I want to get into Berserk more. I guess I'll go read the manga instead of doing that before. Because, or maybe, because the because everyone didn't like the second anime season, they were like, "Oh, this a- anime is a lost cause." <laughs> I guess I have to read the manga instead of waiting for more anime. I, and so everyone did that. I mean, to be fair, like, <clears throat> I mean, all thoughts on uh, the twenty sixteen Berserk anime aside, we could be here like all day talking about that, but. Uh, the second anime, for those who don't know, it doesn't cover the be- like the beginning of the manga like the first anime or the movies did. Like it's it is sort of a continuation of after the Golden Age arc. So I could kind of understand people who are just getting it, like who got into Berserk through that particular anime adaptation, being like, "Oh, this is kind of cool. I want to check it out," or whatnot. Yeah. So, so technically, no anime adaptation has covered the very beginning of Berserk. Since no, since really the Golden Age arc is the second arc in the manga. Well, that's the first arc was Black Swordsman. So that's that's true. I guess um, I wouldn't know. I've I've seen I've only seen a little bit of like the original Berserk anime, and I haven't seen any of the movies though. Yeah, so the mo- the movies only do Golden Age, and then the TV series only does Golden Age. They like the first episode is sorta sorta is like the first chapter of the manga, but it doesn't. Do the entire story arc? No, yeah, that's a very like Cliff Notes version of um of the arc almost. Um, not even that. It's just the first chapter, and it doesn't do anything else that happens in that arc. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. Re- I like remember almost nothing about the first arc of Berserk. It, I just it was. It's not very particularly memorable, in my opinion. I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's not the it's not really the best part of Berserk. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but anyway, that, it, I, I like that Berserk is selling. That's cool. M- yeah. m- maybe hopefully one day Dark Horse Comics will, uh, release it digitally. Maybe not. I don't know. That would be nice, but, eh. At least they're reprinting older volumes, finally. That's true. Um, but at number eight, uh, another new entry on the list, we have Twin Star Exorcist number six on the list, which I am really surprised at how, like, Another tangent real quick. I'm really surprised at how popular the anime is on Crunchyroll, because whenever I check Crunchyroll on their, like, popular section of their list, 
it's always within like the top five out of everything uh, out of everything in their catalog, which I'm honestly kind of shocked at because like I've watched about what was it the first seven episodes or so before I was like, you know, this is okay, but like, eh, I don't. It's it's not it's not really grabbing me enough to want to keep going, but apparently it's doing pretty well. I was surp- I'm surprised because a lot of people ha- kind of hated the show for like the first 13 episodes or whatever, which is understandable, you know, because to someone who read the manga, they added a bunch of pointless filler and padded some s- padded stuff oh, out. Oh, did they really? Huh. Yeah. Okay. They did. So I get then I then I guess, you know, the show picked up and like sold people when, you know, they introduced Benio's brother and that entire storyline. Oh, okay. It's like that pretty pretty like intense fight that Roku and Benio have with him. Like which is which is pretty memorable. It's it's probably it is it is probably one of the most brutal fights I have read. So that was like yeah, that was that was pretty good. I haven't really read uh Twin Star Exorcist in a while. So I don't really I don't remember if I've read anything in this volume. Tw- but Twin uh, Star Exorcist I'll probably read the manga for over watching the anime. At some point, because yeah. I get the feeling I would probably enjoy a lot of the art and composition in the manga a little bit more. Maybe. I mean, I find I kind of lost a little bit of, I, I don't know, I lost a little bit of interest, I think, after the time skip. But I, I think it was picking up again when I last let it, left it off. So it pro- maybe kept getting, it kept picking up and got, got into a new groove. So... You know, I'll have to get back into that again at some point. Okay. Um, but just to round off the list, again, more surprises. At, uh, at number nine, we have Tokyo Ghoul uh, Volume 8, with its previous rank on the list being number 10, uh, with it being its eighth week on the list. And then at number 10, rounding off the list, we have One Punch Man Volume 1, previous rank being number two on the list, making it its 57th week on the list altogether. Um, It's, a, it's an interesting list, I'd say. I mean, a lot of... It, it's pr- except for Berserk, they're all Viz Media titles, so n- yeah. no, no variety on the publishing side. But um, a lot of titles, like a few titles, I wasn't expecting on the list. Again, Berserk. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was an interesting list. Yeah, there was a variety in terms of titles. Yeah, yeah. Even if there are mostly Viz stuff. But uh, here, actually, let me let me get a drink of water while you uh, can, can you cover the book scan list for me, please. Oh, sure. I talked for like 30, 40 minutes, and then I still kept talking, and now you want me to talk more. But oh, yes, yes, I'll cover the book scan list. <laughs> uh, this is the book scan list for September, and there's a couple of manga titles uh, on here that is interesting. Uh, of, at the highest ranked being One Punch Man Volume 8, which ranks at number 5 for the month of September. And of course, there are more one. One Punch Man Volume 1 also ranks here at a number, rank 20, so two in the top 20. That's pretty good. A surprising one for me is Monster Masumi Volume 9 at uh, number 8 here, which I don't remember Monster Masume if it's been in the top, in the book scan list before. I don't remember either. For any particular month. But yeah, I guess uh, that, that volume sold really well. Uh, we have Tokyo Ghoul Volumes, uh, Volume 8, at uh, number 11, and we got Volume 1 at number 15. So, generally, to take away from this is that One Punch Man and Tokyo Ghoul are performing really competitively 
against uh, other top comic books uh, being released in the United States and uh, bookstores. So that's pretty good. And then we've got, and it's nice to see like a stray volume of another just random manga title make it into the top 10. Just, you know, so that's, that's kind of nice to see too, even if it's kind of strange that it's Monster Musume. Because I've never seen it be on the book scan list before. But yeah, that's the book scan list in a nutshell. Well, Monster Musume is popular. Yes, but all this goes to show that uh, the manga industry in the States is doing very, very well. And uh, that leads us into our next uh, little bit about uh, how the manga market is growing. Uh, you want to go over that? Culture? Yes, yes. So, uh, good transition. So, apparently, uh, ICV2 had their conference at uh, New York Comic Con this year. And uh, they basically took a look at uh, the domestic comic market in general. The important thing to take away from the conference basically was uh, ICV2's uh, Milton Grape Gripe. I'm going to pronounce that wrong, I'm sure. Um, apparently, uh, the value of the American comic market uh, has topped $1 billion. So that's pretty good. Um and uh he also estimated that the size of the manga market was at eighty five million dollars last year, which apparently is up thirteen was which is like a thirteen percent increase from the year before mm-hmm. and that's three consecutive years of increased sales in the manga market and while eighty five million seems as like a small share of the one billion, it's still a pretty good chunk and uh it's definitely a nice and the fact that there's been three consecutive years of growth. It's still a good trend to see. Like, soon it'll be about a tenth of the entire value of the American comics market. Manga will take up. So, yeah. Yeah, and um, Milton was quoted saying that uh, last year, the biggest new titles were Tokyo Ghoul and One Punch Man from Viz, but a lot of titles are doing well, and overall, the market is growing. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you said, that that is a small share of you know that uh, that is a small share of you know the one billion dollars from you know the American comic industry in general. But that's that's still not an amount to sneeze at. <laughs> so that's still that's still a lot of money. So I'm I'm gl- I'm glad manga is doing well over here. Makes makes me makes me happy to hear. It's very nice. Uh, I mean, the, the support and the uh, fandom and the community for anime and manga just keeps growing. And I think, and I think it'll just keep expanding, and so it's becoming a very valuable marketplace. And I definitely think a lot of uh, distributors, producers, you know, companies are taking note of that and want to tap into that market. I mean, we've seen that Amazon Japan, uh, Amazon recently uh, picked up Ronia the Robber's Daughter, the Ghibli TV anime series from two years ago, you know, as content for their site. So you know, definitely companies are going after looking to expand into uh, anime and manga. So I, I definitely think the market's growing. And that leads us into kind of our next thing here, and that, you know, there's also been, a, with the anime and manga market growing, there's also kind of a, been demand more on the fan end for more, like, conventions and more, like, uh, 
fan communities, you know, uh, dedicated to anime specifically. And so we talked about, you know, New York Comic Con, and it's very welcoming to anime fans. There's a lot of anime-related events and, you know, uh, merchandise and whatever, you know, to, uh, to visit, to buy there, or like, and a lot of, you're going to meet up with a lot of anime manga fans and a lot of things for anime manga fans to do. But I know that some people have been remiss that there hasn't been a convention in New York that's specifically dedicated to anime since uh, the previous convention, anime, the New York Anime Festival, Festival, was folded into New York Comic Con back in 2012. So an event company called Left Field Media will be launching Anime NYC, which will be a new anime convention uh, in New York City that is uh, projected to launch next year uh, from November 17th to the 19th, 2017, at the Jadford Center, uh, you know, the same place Comic-Con is held at. And that's and it plans to have, host exhibits, screenings, panels, and Japanese media creators. And it'll begin selling tickets and have some more details about, uh, you know, events and everything that'll happen there uh, this November. And so there are a bunch of sponsors for this uh, convention. Crunchyroll is the title sponsor, but there's also Funimation, Viz Media, and Kanoi Kunia, you know, also signed on. Uh, so there's a lot of support behind this, and I think that it has a lot of people excited. So, you know, I know anime. So and the anime manga fan community in New York City is pretty strong, as, you know, Evidenced by uh, the rousing success of Matsui's of the Matsui events uh, that happened, and as even and the Hasakura event too, as well, you know that happened in New York Comic Con. So I definitely think that this could be very successful. And uh, for those who want have been wanting to see more anime conventions in New York Comic Con, uh, yeah, next year should be a good time. Mm, yeah, well, that's that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, Osamu Akimoto. Uh, the creator of Kochikame, uh, apparently received the 64th Kankik, uh, blah, 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 blah. God, that's a tongue twister. <clears throat> received the 64th Kankikichi Prize on, uh, on Thursday. The prize is awarded to notable literary, film, theatrical, sports, newspaper, and broadcast creators. And Akimoto was specifically awarded for uh, launching Kochikame in 19, 1976 and continuing the sterilization without any breaks or missing a week for 40 years straight, which is an honor that definitely deserves recognition recognition and uh, an award yeah, that, for. That de- yeah, working for 40 years without a break, yeah, I'd want some kind of award for that, definitely. So I'm glad he actually got an award for that. That's That's amazing. He deserves it. Definitely well deserved. Very, very definitely. Um, but on to our next news story. So, so apparently Watsky is, uh, drawing some new Kenshin. So that's cool. Um, uh, Watsky apparently is going to be drawing another sort of short Kenshin spinoff. The first chapter will run in the, in the December issue on November 4th. And, uh, it'll be called, uh, Roroni Kenshin, uh, variant story, The Criminal Ashitaro. Um, there's no synopsis, synopsis that I can find of it so far, so I honestly have no idea what this spinoff's gonna be. Uh, I don't know if Ashitaro is gonna be a new character that Watsuki's gonna introduce or something. I don't know. Like, there really aren't any other details about this spinoff other than what it's called and when it's gonna be coming out, so... 
like, I don't know. I feel like um, we've talked about Watsky on the show before and how, um, I mean, I forget if, I forget if you feel the same way, Sid, but personally, I feel like after Kenshin, um, not that I think that like all of his work at work after Kenshin is like terrible, but it's like, I feel like a lot of Watsky's works post Kenshin aren't there. I feel like they're definitely not as good. Like a lot of his Kenshin prequels in, or pre, well, his, his other Kenshin stuff, like, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the two volume manga series that came out around the time of the live action movies and then the Shishio spinoffs and whatnot. From what I've read of those, I, I don't know. I didn't really think those were all that great, honestly. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm really looking forward to this new spinoff. Uh, to be fair, I only read like half of Booster Ring and I haven't read his series after that. So I can't, I don't know really if I can tr- act, really give a, a, a informed opinion on like how Watsky's work, you know, after Kenshin really is. Because I've only read like half of Booster Ring and then yeah. his, not his other two things. But I guess I feel bad for Watsky in the same way I feel bad for Toriyama. It's like the only thing that people care about is like their most popular work. And they keep, and like, they keep having to go back and make more stuff for the most popular work because that's all people want to see from them. So Watsky keeps having to go back to Kenshin because that's all people really want to see from him, it seems. But I did, like, I thought Moroni Kenshin, the restoration manga, that I thought that was kind of pointless. But I liked the Shishio backstory chapters a lot. It really made me it, look at Shishio and his relationship with Yumi in a new, interesting context. And honestly, those chapters are what really made me appreciate Shishio better as a villain and a character. And that's, and I, I think I consider him one of my among my favorite Shonen Jump villains, a lot in large part because of the of the information that you know was explored about him in those backstory chapters. So I, I like those I like those chapters a lot. So I'm not going to write off uh, these new uh, this new two chapter like mini series that Watsuki is doing because that might ha- do some interesting things too. Even though I'm I'm not I don't know what it will really be focused on, since I, I don't think Ashitaro is a character that appeared in Kenshin before. But uh, other, but I would like to see uh, the English jump run this like they did the Shishio uh, spin-off chapters. So I'm hoping they do that. I feel like they will. So that'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to completely write it off either, because, I mean, to be fair, like, I feel like I didn't, I didn't, like the Shishio chapters as much just because like those came out at a time when like at that point it had been it's been a while since I've read Kenshin so like I don't know if maybe I just like I I just wasn't as like uh refreshed on the material as I'd like to be so maybe that's why I did it I wasn't as invested in those but I feel like if I read those like right after I read the Kyoto arc I probably would have found those a little more interesting um, so that's that's probably more on me, if anything, honestly. But I don't know. I don't want to write it off completely either. I, I'll 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 wait until I read them to fully judge them, obviously. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, if it is if it is some kind of new character, I I hope it'll be interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, hopefully the English jump runs this, and we might talk about it in the show if they do. 
but there's not the Kenshin is not the only series that are getting new chapters of well, new mini series of after all this time. Uh Rose of Versailles as well, uh the classic shoujo manga is also getting uh a new two chapter special mini series focused on Marie Antoinette, uh which will take place before and during the French Revolution. Well, no, the the one sh- this new mini series is going to be about Queen Marie Antoinette and her relationship with the watchmaker Regret, which I don't think that was a character in the series, or I mean, he was very minor. But yeah, so that'll be interesting. I as the sh- as the series goes along, you you get less of Mary Antoinette, so it'd be interesting if this takes place like after the series focuses more on uh, uh, Oscar and. Uh, yeah. So and like Mary Antoinette is more in the background. So that that that's interesting. I like Rose of Versailles a lot. It's among my favorite anime. I still need to check out the manga. Uh but you know, so it's cool to see some new content though, and hopefully uh that this gets released um, you know, in English because, you know, the series has been licensed, the manga, uh, by Udon Entertainment. Like they licensed it last July. And they were originally planning to release it in omnibus form, like, uh, this year. They still haven't done so. But hopefully, you know, they get back on doing that. We see Rose Versailles get published over here. And then they release, you know, these, these, like, collections of, uh, these short stories to keep coming out for the series. Because there's, like, two volumes worth of those right now, and they'll probably keep making more, so. Good stuff. Yeah, I need to I need to read or watch Rose of Versailles at some point. I, I hear very good things about it. Really good. Really good. And something else I'm looking forward to is more work from Natsume Ono, uh the mangaka behind House of Five Leaves and a lot of other more uh indie manga titles, I should say. Like her her titles are a little different from what is considered mainstream. Uh, she's launching a new uh web manga called Dokoka de Daraka mo Tabeteru, uh, which is a story about, uh, it's a, well, it's more of a collection of stories about, about experiences people have while eating food and, you know, preparing food and making food. So, like, the first chapter is about a mother and her daughters as they share packs of pudding. And, you know, so, so stuff like that, kind of like these simple, low-key, like, relatable little tales of, uh, you know, sharing food with family. Or Sounds like it could be nice. Um, the, the English title for that, uh, the roughly translated English title for that, by the way, being uh, Somewhere Somebody Is Also Eating. Yeah, so I think that describes the series very well. And yeah, so, uh, well, whoever picks this, uh, if this series gets collected in graphic novel format, uh, hopefully someone picks this up because I always enjoy reading. Uh, doesn't works. doesn't Viz publish um a lot of this um does don't they publish Natsume Ono's titles? Uh, her titles are published by both Viz and Kodansha, so okay. it depends on like the publication they write. Okay, hmm. yeah, I I know I'd seen her some of her titles in English. Um, yeah, I def I definitely want to read stuff like House of Leaves. That's that's something I like. I, that's one of those things where I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing I want to read. And then I forget about it for like <laughs> a, like a year or two, and then I'm I come back to it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I wanted to read that, and then the cycle continues. I actually haven't read House of Leaves, but I've read a most. I've read pretty much all of her short story collections uh, that have come out here. So 
Yeah, I enjoy her work a lot, so I should probably get on Reading House of Happiness sometime, too. So, um, I hear there was a crossover that happened, apparently. I, uh, it was pretty cool or something. I don't know. Something something about Space Brothers and, uh... Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Marvel movies aren't just big over here. They're big in Japan. And, you know, we've had a lot of interesting, like, crossovers between, uh, American create, like, American comic books and manga, the most notable being, like, the Marvel crossover with Attack on Titan. That was, an, that was something on the English side. So something on the Japanese side that recently happened is, uh, Space Brothers crossover with Iron Man, the character Iron Man, though definitely modeled after, uh, the uh, MCU version played by Robert Downey Jr. Yep. And, and and might I say he looks uh, very handsome uh, drawn in this particular author's style. Yes. So you know it's a, it's a short little crossover between uh, Iron Man and Space Brothers, which is kind of interesting because Space Brothers is set in like the real world, at least realistic kind of uh, setting. So while Iron Man is you know this fantastical kind of character. He, I mean, certainly he seems a little incongruous with the world of Space Brothers, but it's kind of an interesting crossover. So uh, I'd be interested in seeing if, you know, you know, maybe Crunchyroll puts that up on the Oh, that would be site. cool. That'd be nice, because otherwise, uh, I don't know how you'd read this, because no one's publishing Space Brothers in print for some reason. Oh, but, is it, uh, oh, is it yeah, not in print? So it's not in print over Oh, here. that's interesting. I thought it was. Hmm. I mean, there are digital volumes that you can buy. Well, that's, well, that's no good print. at least, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of interesting. I would definitely be interested in reading this if it uh, ever gets licensed. I need to read Space Brothers. <laughs> yeah. It's a good series. Yeah, that's something I want to read, too. Um, so, something that uh, we kind of talked about... Well, we did talk about it in the last episode, but I again, I had to cut it out because of uh, time, t- time sensibilities and all that, but... Uh, just to kind of go over it real quick. Um, so, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is getting a live action movie, but but not only that, it's going to be directed by Takashi Miike, and is going to be an adaptation of Part Four: Diamond Is Unbreakable. So we've talked about it on the show at some point about how like there were rumors floating around about uh, Stardust Crusaders getting a live action uh, movie adaptation, but uh, so. Those rumors kind of came true, but, you know, it's it's a different part of JoJo's that they're adapting. Um, Takashi Miike, for those who don't know, uh, is uh, responsible for the uh, for directing the the live action adaptation of Ace Attorney and is um, responsible for other films such as uh, Crow's Zero and Ichi the Killer, uh, most notably from what uh, people on Twitter tell me. Um, so... From what I hear, like, T- Takashi Miike is very, is, uh, like, either his movies really suck or they, re- are they really good. Like, there's no, there's no middle ground with him, which is kind of interesting. Um, and he's known for directing a lot of, like, like, uh, very action-y, action-oriented, like, horror comedy stuff. So, basically, like, they, they got the best guy for a JoJo live action movie that they could, from what I hear. So, uh, Sid, I don't know. What what do you think? Uh, do you think you're going to uh, look forward to this uh, live-action JoJo movie? Yeah, you know, I've become a lot more optimistic on uh, live-action movies of uh, manga properties. Surprisingly, you know, me seen, too. Yeah. 
after seeing Bakuman, the Bakuman live-action movie, and the Rowing Engine live-action films. So I think, you know, this could be done very well, and it seems like they're taking a lot of care, and uh, they're really trying hard to bring the manga to life, uh, and bring, like, the original vision of Araki to life, like, in live-action form, like, as best as they can. Like, they went location scouting across the entire world. And even though, you know, Moria is a Japanese city, they're shooting in Spain because they felt like uh, this town, still Sitges in Spain, you know, fits the fictional, fits Moria, you know, the best. So, you know, they're putting in a lot of effort here, you know, in terms of both location scouting and casting and, like, how they want to structure the story of these films. So, you know, I think that you know, there's at least a lot of passion behind this, so I'd like to think that would uh, end up meriting, like, a good film. Uh, I mean, it could still go awry. Like, you know, we there have been, you know, cases in the past of, like, passionate, you know, fans making uh, bad uh, bad movies out of, uh, you know, their source material. Cough, Last Airbender, Cough. Uh, but, you know... I I think I don't, I honestly think that this will turn out well. I mean, Takashi Miki, with his style, seems very suited to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So I think that uh, I think this is something to look forward to. Yep, I will definitely be watching this. I'm looking forward to it. In other live action movie news, uh, Re Life, which is a manga that recently got an anime in the su- uh, summer anime season that uh, I quite enjoyed, was also getting a live action film adaptation that is slated to debut next April, and the film will be self contained with an original ending. So if you enjoyed the uh, Re Life manga or anime, the, you can look forward to this live action movie as well. So I think that's I think this is a story that could work very well in live action. So I'd be interested in this. Mm, yeah, I yeah, real life was something that um I mean interestingly enough about the anime, um that like got that got uploaded to Crunchyroll like Netflix style where like they they uploaded the entire season of 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 the anime all at once, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um Yeah, that's cuz that that's what they did in Japan too. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, so, uh, from what I've heard, it's um, I hear it's not bad. Um, I it's it's not again. It's not. I I feel really pretentious when I put when I when I say things like this. But like, it's not a, it's not like a top priority thing. But I I would like to check it out at some point. It's really good. It handles like drama between you know uh, kids in a hi- kids in high school from a very adult and mature perspective. So it's it's very interesting the way it approaches what would otherwise be a normal, you know, romantic, you know, another like high school kind of series because it's from the perspective of this guy who's an adult and who's, you know, lives through high school and like kind of, kind of knows things that, you know, these kids he's around don't really get. So he, he's able to kind of have this like outside perspective and like have, have some insights and able to, uh, shape people, uh, help people, like, in ways that, uh, you know, you wouldn't normally see in, like, a not your typical high school anime kind of series. So I, I find I find that very interesting. It's, like, a, it's a very interesting, very funny series. I definitely would recommend it. Okay. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this movie. Well, there you go. Um, so, uh, there's some stuff going on with Kodansha lately, apparently. Uh, some good, some weird. Why don't, we, why don't we talk about the good first? 
Yes. So Kadansha uh, announced on Friday that it acquired uh, Ichijinsha, which is a publishing company that's, that had run several manga magazines like Monthly Comics, Zero Sum, Comics Rex, and Comic Urihime, among others. Series that are, you know, published uh, in their uh, magazines include stuff like Citrus and Masamune Kun's Revenge, which we've mentioned on the show before, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so they, they have a pretty big belt of titles under their belt. So, you know, this is an expansion for Kadansha. Uh, so, they'll, so this is a sign of their growth. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if there's anything else I can really say about this, because I don't really have that much insight into Intrajinja's, you know, properties. Yeah, but me neither. Just in general, mergers or, like, uh, acquisitions like this are usually a sign of growth by the uh, party that acquires the company. So, I think Kodansha is just growing bigger in Japan. They sure are, yeah. So, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. But more positive news is flagged by some very strange news in that Amazon Japan's Kindle subscription service has removed a thousand Kadansha titles without their knowledge for some reason. That is weird. They just, Amazon Japan just suddenly removed a bunch of their Kadansha titles. And it was a one-sided decision that Kadansha is protesting this because they had not informed Kadansha that they would do this. And so they're petitioning Amazon to reconsider their titles as removal. And so this is a very, very strange uh, development. Apparently, from the Wall Street Journal, a reason cited as one of the reasons they, you know, have done this is that Amazon told publishers its budget ran out after some titles saw demand beyond what Amazon expected, which, I don't know, I don't, I'm not really satisfied with that answer. So this is a very strange development. At the very least, it was very irresponsible of Amazon uh, to not inform Kadansha that they were going to do this before they actually did it. Mm-hmm. Like, that was very poor communication on the, on the part of Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to be curious to see how this is resolved, because this was, uh, at the very least, it's a, it's a sign of very poor communication between Amazon and Kadansha that might sour their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what comes of that. In an utter strange news, well, not really strange, but there's a lot of controversy behind this title uh, in recent years. If you have any knowledge of it, so it's kind of so this is definitely opening a whole new can of worms. Uh, DMP is going to be doing uh, resuming Texca Kickstarter again after taking a break from them for a little while, and uh, next on their docket is Under the Air and the Crater. Hmm. So, for those of you who don't uh, remember the uh, Crater Kickstarter from a couple of years back, it was uh, done by this guy, I forget his name, but he just started up his own company specifically to uh, trans- uh, translate this uh, translate Tesca's to Crater. Actually, it's funny, I think um, uh, when, I, when I used to do podcasts over at Anime 3000, I think... Uh, think uh my friend and host of the manga corner jd actually um i think he i think she actually conducted an interview with with the guy over at uh kansai club publishing is is what you're referring to yeah so yeah I, so yeah i think um yeah 
I don't know what my point was, but uh, yeah, that's uh, you mentioned the publishing company, and yeah, I just wanted to mention yeah, it was Concept Club Publishing, which yeah, I I, re- I remember that. I kind of remember this this situation a little bit only because I remember listening to um, I remember listening to that interview she conducted like a little while ago. So th- yeah, so this uh, this company like Kansai Club Publishing was created specifically to uh, publish, you know, Tesca's creator. And then if, after, if it was successful, you know, maybe publish more of his stuff. I don't know. So suffer somehow this guy, Andrew, who didn't really have any connections in the manga industry or like really not, or really any involvement in the comic industry at all. Like he managed to get Tesca Productions to give him the license to publish Tesca's The Creator. And so he started this Kickstarter uh, for it. It got fully funded, and he never released it. That's not good. Yeah, so to this day, no one has received a copy of the crater. Hmm, Uh, that's unfortunate. No one has received a refund for uh, backing this project. And it soured a lot of people on the idea of using Kickstarter to publish manga. Because this guy... This guy had this guy ran his Kickstarter very poorly, very poor communication. Ultimately, he seems to have given up on it entirely, and you know he's still on Facebook or whatever. So he he doesn't answer any questions about the Kickstarter. But like, he, apparently he's living his life just like without any concern about this. Like, I don't want to put don't want to pass judgments on the guy, but like. There's no repercussions about this. Like, I don't know where the money has gone because it certainly hasn't, you know, gone back to the people who have backed the project. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 is, that is a little suspicious, though. It is. And obviously, Kickstarter themselves can't be responsible and can't give refunds. That's not, that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so this is, so The Crater was a very contentious title. And then the confirmation that DMP now has the license to publish The Crater means that this guy, Andrew, no longer has that right. So now the question is, okay, so now what? So I, obviously now he's not going to be releasing the books. But like, yeah. I guess that money that all that people spent on that Kickstarter it's all gone. It's just not coming back, I guess. Like, no returns. And it's it's really it's really terrible. Yeah, that it's is. Really, it's really awful. Jeez. So this this is definitely big news. Now, DMP, on the other hand, are very responsible. They respond very quickly. Like, they're very communicative. And so we know we can trust DMP. Like, we know that they will put out a great product and they will deliver on that product. But... Yeah, guys like Andrew Nevo and his Kansai Club Publishing, they they give uh, crowdfunding. And the idea of using crowdfunding to publish, you know, manga titles or to fund like any like any any endeavor of the sort, a really bad name and really bad stigma. So I'm hoping with DMP now publishing the crater, some of that some of that disgust and some of that resentment slowly starts to wash and fade away but i it is unfortunate that money that all that people spent backing the, the project way back in the day is just up in smoke with nothing to show for it yeah i feel sorry for the people who probably are never going to get their money back on that um good thing i never backed that project i feel like in like if i were in the situation i feel like if i were the backer 
I probably wouldn't back it just because like, hey, I tried backing this before and I basically got screwed out of it. So I feel like I want this to succeed, but I feel like I feel like most of the people who have already backed the previous project probably aren't going to back this new one just because like like I feel like the stigma is still going to lose some people because of that. But which I mean, which is unfortunate, but I mean, it's 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 inevitable, I think. But I'm hoping this does well. Yeah, it's for I mean, I think I think it will. I think that you know, BMP has a track record, like they're proven, like people can trust them. So I, I don't, I expect them to do well with this and you know, get funded with this Kickstarter. Yeah. So I think from this point on, Tesco Productions isn't going to, I, if nothing else, Tesco Productions themselves aren't going to let anyone else other than DMP run a Kickstarter to put, get one of Tesco's stuff published because after this after the like this whole is that whole disaster i don't think they want to trust an independent unproven publisher or just some random guy who thinks he can publish a manga uh, un- unfortunately they had to learn the hard way um yeah uh in more positive news i suppose well, I guess the crater being relicensed is positive, but you know this whole baggage, whatever. This has no baggage. This is uh, this is pretty cool. It Metabang uh last year did this really neat contest where hopeful mangakas around the world were able to submit to them and Weekly Shonen Jump uh digital uh, Shonen Jump Plus app to do a international manga contest and that ran from last December to this March and uh they received like 900 manga from all over the world entered into that contest so it was very successful very cool and so they are doing another one this time with uh in partnership with Weekly Shonen magazine each manga that you could, would want to submit has to be a completed one shot up to 50 pages in length. They don't, they can be oriented in either left to right or right to left. It doesn't matter which. And you can publish it in English, Korean, Chinese, Spanish, French, or Russian. And then the Ametabank's translation team will translate all submissions into Japanese and uh, review the entries before, you know, they're judged. So there are a lot of details about this contest, but the basically the grand prize, the winning manga will have, will be published in Weekly Shonen Magazine's manga app, Magazine Pocket Plus, and an editor will be assigned to you to help you develop your manga further, and you'll also receive feedback from the editorial staff. Uh, Runner-up winners will also receive the feedback and just not the publishing. So it's really cool. You'll get a lot if you are a winner or runner up, you'll get a lot advice from actual manga industry folk, and that's pretty neat. And of course, if you win the grand prize, you'll actually get published in uh and Weekly Shonen Magazine's manga app. So that's very cool. There's a lot of other, you know, little details that uh you know you can review I'll put up the link to Metabank's site and uh the all the submission details all the rules and qualifications all that jazz but basically you have the entry period is from uh Thursday October 13 2016 which at the time uh this episode will be out has already happened so you can already start submitting 
And it will go on until Thursday, January 12, 2017. So even if you don't have anything ready now, you have three months to prepare your manga and submit it to this contest. I think, and uh, yeah, I like contests like these. I think they're pretty cool. So I'm definitely interested in seeing Metabang make this an annual thing. What I what I hope will happen, which it probably won't happen, but what would you, what you know? It'd be really cool if somebody listening to this actually decided to uh, sign up for the contest or uh, submit something for this contest, and they won. That would be really cool. If, if this is your first time uh, hearing about this contest through this podcast, and you win, uh, we'd love to have you on. Oh, definitely, very much so. That would be amazing. Send us your submissions if you enter this contest. We'd love to read them and then maybe invite some people on to interview them about how they went about making their manga one shots. Be really cool. Yeah, that'd be kind of nice. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to talk to some of the people who submit uh, one shots to this kind of stuff and maybe get the get some of their insight on this kind of stuff. That that would be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, I think we should uh, probably get on to our last, um, probably one of the most important pieces of news that we could discuss. Um, yes, we got a we got a listener uh, question about it. Yep, uh, somebody wanted us to talk about it, and lucky for them, we're going to talk about it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Shueisha is creating a new department called the Dragon Ball Room. Uh, which will be opening up in June and will focus specifically on Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball property, Akio Ioku, uh, who is essentially the editor in chief of the, uh, of Shueisha's V Jump magazine. It's, it's a video game magazine primarily. And it's also where, uh, the Dragon Ball Super manga by Toyotaro runs, uh, currently. He will be the, the head of the new department. And uh, basically, the the idea behind this new department will be to provide new ideas for for Dragon Ball content, and basically come up with ideas to optimize and expand the brand. Um, Ioku commented that uh, they will literally only be thinking about Dragon Ball. That is literally what the room will be for. Uh, and Toriyama himself even uh, even made a comment about how, uh, uh, how about how great it is that he doesn't have to do anything, which is great. It's amazing. I love I love Toriyama. So Toriyama, <laughs> I'm happy for him too. Which is so weird to me, also because it seemed like the for the past couple of years now, since like Battle of Gods, and since he since he like actually sat down to check out Dragon Ball Evolution, that it seemed like he actually kind of cared about Dragon Ball for a while. And now that Shueisha's basically giving Dragon Ball its own department, he's just kind of like, oh well, uh, okay, sure, why not? Well, Battle of Gods wasn't something that he started the initiative for. I think that was something that. Toei or and Shueisha wanted to do, and they just went to Toriyama for the idea of how to do that. And it was like, yeah, sure, why not? We can make a better movie than that American movie, I think. I, anyway, and then Resurrection F definitely that was something that he specifically said was his idea and he wanted to do. So that Resurrection F was something that like he definitely took the initiative on. But Battle of Gods and Super, I think those were just things that Shueisha and Toei wanted to do, and then they just got Toriyama's input for that for legitimacy. Yeah, but I mean, I know Dragon Ball Evolution was the thing that kind of made him realize, huh, okay, maybe I do actually kind of care about how my characters are portrayed Yeah, and, and all that, but... 
Um, so I'm honestly kind of surprised this hasn't been done already. Yeah, it's actually kind of long overdue when you think about it. Like Dragon Ball as a franchise is 30 years old at this point, I think. If not over 30, over, over oh yeah, that's right. I don't know how I feel about this, and let me be clear: I love Dragon Ball. I've been into Dragon Ball arguably since I was not even 10 years old. I was very young when I got into Dragon Ball, as most people, obviously. But um, I don't know how I feel. Ab- I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that they're finally giving their own section of situation to Dragon Ball and, you know, coming up with new ideas and stuff. That's kind of neat. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I kind of I wish people would kind of give Dragon Ball a rest for a little while because it, it like there's there's always something happening with Dragon Ball and I'm not saying that's inherently a bad thing but like I kind of I, I kind of find it weird that I've never had the opportunity to like I mean sure I feel I, I some I, like uh, I don't know it's weird because like I don't usually feel nostalgic for Dragon Ball at all because it's like it's always been there. It's always Mm -hmm. been a part of my life in some capacity, whether it be through like Funimation's constant releases or, you know, the new movies that have been coming out along with Super. I just I feel kind of weird not having the opportunity to like miss Dragon Ball. And I I kind of wish I I kind of wish I could experience that. Like I wish I wish I could kind of take a break from it. I feel like that'd be nice. But at the same time, like, I don't I don't mind the new content coming out for Dragon Ball. Like, you know, it's I can't say that I'm like, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess, oh, like, if we're if we're talking about like super in general, or specifically, um, you know, I, I like some parts of super and then there are some parts I don't like, uh, I guess certain aspects, if you want to be more specific, um, um, I mean, I don't know, like, uh, basically, uh, too long didn't read. I'm I'm kind of torn. I don't really know. I don't really know how I feel about this. I'm kind of mixed. I don't know. How do you feel, Sid? Well, Dragon Ball, as I've mentioned before, is something extremely dear to me. It is, it's a series that has defined my life in many ways, shaped the direction of my life in many ways. It's something that I'll always hold close to my heart. And I love it with every fiber of my being. So, with that said, I think that this Dragon Ball Room initiative is pretty much something that I think Shueisha should have done maybe 20 years ago. And I'm kind of surprised it's taken them this long to do it. Yeah. Because it feels long overdone to me. But it makes sense that they would think about doing it now. Because we're in the age of franchises, and everyone is really focusing on, like, beefing up and making, like, their franchises big and massive internationally. And, I mean, in the in America, we, you know, we see, like, Hollywood is trying to make all these cinematic universes and franchises out of something like Ghostbusters. And, you know, the thing that Dragon Ball Room reminds me of is Ghost Corp which was the company that Sony founded specifically to develop the Ghostbusters franchise going forward. And I don't know how that is, since Ghostbusters, uh, that movie flopped. So, like, I don't know about the future of that franchise at this point. But Dragon Ball Room is kind of the same thing for Dragon Ball. 
The difference is Dragon Ball as a franchise has been revitalized considerably in the last eight or so years. Now, it's always... It never really went away. I mean, we always had, like, video games coming out every year. But it is worth noting that between 1998, 2008, in Japan, there really wasn't a whole lot of new content for Dragon Ball. That's true. Not really any new manga, no new anime. Basically... The basically, I mean, there were new video games, sure, but it wasn't really that active of a franchise. In 2008, we saw, you know, a new anime special, Yoga Son Goku and His Friends Return. Then the year afterwards, we got Dragon Ball Kai. And then from there, every we've seen the franchise kind of bounce back, bounce back into, like, the public eye in Japan and, like, get more stuff made for it. And while Dragon Ball Kai you know, wasn't necessarily successful in terms of sales or, I mean, ratings were okay, but, like, it got, like, half of what One Piece would get or something. But in, in while Dragon Ball Kai, you know, there was many points where people argued, like, oh, this wasn't successful, but it actually really was, uh, because what it did was that it made another generation aware of what Dragon Ball was. Yep. And so after, with the influence of Dragon Ball Kai, merchandise sales and the popularity of the Dragon Ball franchise uh, was raised up again. And then Dragon Ball Heroes, the arcade game came out in 2011, and that exploded. And it's like the biggest arcade game, especially card-based arcade game in Japan. And, like, that's how actually a lot of young young people in Japan are getting into Dragon Ball nowadays, is that they're not reading the anime or manga, and they're playing Dragon Ball Heroes, and that's how they get into Dragon Ball franchise. So, you know, and of course we're getting movies, there's been new Dragon Ball spin-offs, there's been a whole bunch of projects for Dragon Ball ever since 2008. And the point I'm trying to make here is that Dragon Ball, since 2008, has expanded considerably as a multimedia franchise in terms of what it's been doing and making its present known in both anime, manga, video games, arcade games, online content with Dragon Ball Online, like all of this stuff. So Dragon Ball as a franchise has really bounced back and it's really branched out. And so I, and so there's definitely a need kind of to oversee all of this stuff, all this new content that's coming out and, uh, you know, to, uh, center, uh, kind of like a headquarters to kind of upset some plans in motion and direct the indirect control of how the franchise will expand from here on out. And that's what Dragon Ball this Dragon Ball room thing is. It's a central place for Shueisha to plan out how the Dragon Ball franchise is going to expand going forward and kind of control every like aspect of the franchise uh, carefully so that they keep it relevant and keep it profitable for, you know, as many years as they can. Now that they can, now that, you know, with this huge resurgence that they have been able to capitalize on in the past eight years. Now, by the way I said that, you might say, oh, that's, that's kind of a cynical outlook. It really isn't. Because, yeah, obviously Dragon Ball is a franchise. And obviously the point of it is to make money. And that's how it's always been ever since it came out in the 80s. That's been the entire 
like, from a company standpoint, the point of Dragon Ball is, like, to make money for Shueisha and for the people working on it. So that's, that's always been the thing with Dragon Ball. But that does not mean that there can be, there isn't any integrity, that there isn't any potential for cool things to come out. Like, cool stories to be told. Like, we're seeing with Super, with this Future Trunks arc, that, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of potential in new hands coming into this franchise and, like, working with this franchise. And there, since there's, a, like, whole generations of people in Japan who've grown up and love this franchise, like, a, they are going into this wanting to make cool things with these characters they love. And so we can get a lot of cool new stories and cool new ideas and cool new content out of the franchise. So it's actually kind of a good thing. I mean, kind of, a, and, you know, it's, I think that, I think it's, you know, fair to be optimistic about the direction of the franchise and Dragon Ball's and see Dragon Ball Room as a good thing and kind of like a, something to be excited about because it shows that Shueisha is really serious about Dragon Ball as a franchise and wanting, you know, to do some quality control and what comes out of it. And that's what Dragon Ball Room is going to be useful. It's going to be like a center for quality control, controlling like the future direction of the content. And I think that's all really good, fine and dandy. I fully expect them to do this with Naruto next because that's probably their second biggest international franchise. Like, you know, this is kind of how we are in terms of how we market our franchises these days. And I think that it was long overdue for Shueisha to do this with Dragon Ball. So I am perfectly on board with this. And as far as this whole commercialization, oh, Dragon Ball is going to become more commercialized. It's going to be whored out as a franchise, all that, whatever. You know, for Dragon Ball, has always been a franchise. There's always been a lot of spin-offs, tie-ins, merchandise, whatever coming out of this franchise for the past 30-plus years. And, you know, we've got good and bad, but that's the point. We've gotten good and bad, and Dragon Ball Room isn't going to change any of that. If anything, I think there's going to be more good. So, I am pretty optimistic. I don't expect this to crash and burn and fail like a Ghost Corp or whatever. But, you know, whatever. But, yeah, so Dragon Ball Room, good thing, I approve of it, A-OK in my book. You know, and, and even on, like... Even think about like as far back as when Toriyama even got uh, when he first entered the manga scene in the first place. Like his whole, uh, e- even even as far as Toriyama goes himself, the creator of Dragon Ball, like uh, his his whole motivation for wanting to get into uh, drawing manga in the first place was because he thought he could meet a lot of women and make a lot of money. That's so. true, and you know, it's often described described that Dragon Ball is a action manga drawn by a gag manga artist and that's really what it is yeah. dragon ball the way it became was not something that toriyama himself would have organically written if you want to see something that's pure toriyama that's dr slump that's all him but dragon ball is also is toriyama with the meddling and direction uh, placed by Shueisha and editors and it ends up and you know what it, i love dragon ball and it ends up and it ended up being really great pretty much all the way through, in my opinion. But, you know, it's important to note that the Dragon Ball wasn't 
pure Toriyama. Like, it's always had influence from outside sources and always had meddling from outside sources. And that's been true of this franchise since day one all the way to now. And so there's really, I really don't see any point of vilifying Shueisha for creating this Dragon Ball room and, you know, trying to make more content for this franchise because that's what they've been doing since day one, ever since Dragon Ball really exploded and became popular. Yep, I agree with that. It's also important to note that Dragon Ball Room isn't like this first, isn't the first real centralized multimedia project with Dragon Ball. Twenty back in twenty fourteen, you know, they did the SSS project. Those four S's stand for Psycho Super Saiyan Secret Project. Wow. And that was that was this whole thing based around episode of Bardock, and you know, it's manga and anime. Uh, the video game inclusions they did with Bardock and the re-release of the original TV special. So this is kind of, Dragon Ball Room is like kind of so that was you can look at the that SSS project thing as kind of like a prototype, kind of like testing out the waters for Shueisha to do to do a more centralized Dragon Ball project, you know, for the entire multimedia franchise and just for the future of it. So you know. It's nothing new is what I'm saying. No, that's 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 a good point to bring up. Um I'm really glad you talked about like how I, I'm I'm really glad you brought up the the uh the franchise's history in in its uh home nation of Japan because I I didn't even think about it like that. I completely forgot that yeah, for a long time there really wasn't anything there really wasn't anything uh new for Dragon Ball coming out where whereas here like like I was saying before, like here here in the States, Dragon Ball has always been around uh, via Funimation's, you know, constant multiple releases after release. Well, not even that, but also that, you know, it took a long time for all the Dragon Ball content to be released out here in the States. That's Funimation true, Funimation was still releasing the DBZ movies all the way into like 2006, 2007. Hmm, and, you know, okay. so the series always had like a presence and, like, just at the point where, like, the Funimation was running out of stuff to put out was the point when uh, Japan started making more stuff for the franchise. So we re- never really had a lull or break in, you know, Dragon Ball's relevance. Like, maybe arguably 2007, 2008-ish, we didn't get a whole lot of new stuff out of Dragon Ball over in the U.S., but that was such a small time period, and, like, the series was still on... TV at that point too, so it's like not really that big a deal. Yeah, didn't, the relevance didn't die out quite to the extent it did in Japan during that ten year stretch of nothing mm-hmm. happening for it. So, I mean, it's so you have to look at it from that different perspective. Like uh, us, Amer- us U.S. fans, you know, have never really had to be too far from new Dragon Ball content, but it's been a little different in Japan. It's only been in the last eight or so years that that's really changed over there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really have an opinion on Dragon Ball Room, quite honestly, which is, which I feel like is really weird to say, because I feel like I should have an opinion, but like, I... Dragon Ball is just kind of that thing in my life that's just always been there. So, like, I feel like maybe now that I think about it, I sort of take it for granted. 
Like I've never had that feeling of ever being away from Dragon Ball because it at in in some way, shape, or form, it's always been a part of me. So I'm just kind of like, this is cool. Let's see what comes out of it. Because like, there's never really been. I can't think of a like a like a Dragon Ball product that I've ever like really despised or disliked maybe the like like the closest thing to that would probably be i'm not like when i think back on it i'm not a huge fan of like a lot of the episode of bardock stuff yeah i don't like any of the episode of bardock stuff i mean i I really wanted to like it but like i probably thought it was cool at the time but like when i think back on it it's definitely an attempt to to make some kind of money, you know, like it's you could tell they did that because, hey, maybe we can make money if we make Bardock a Super Saiyan. Kids will like that. Yeah, I don't know. But it, but the thing about it is, you know, that it's also important to remember that Shueisha or Toei aren't the only ones who can kind of screw up the franchise. Like Toriyama kind of has made missteps with it, too. Uh, like episode zero, Dragon Ball minus or whatever. Remember yeah. that? Remember how that ruins Bardock's character too? Which is weird because Toriyama goes has gone on record to say that he is a fan of the Bardock TV special. Yeah, he's a fan of the character, but I guess he didn't really understand what people liked about the character because it wasn't a character he created himself. That's to begin true. With. Yeah, but he liked the idea of Bardock. But he completely changed the character of Bardock and what made him so appealing and fascinating in Dragon Ball Minus. And I consider that, like, one a big misstep. Don't really know what the point of Minus was. Like, except to show off Goku's mother, I guess. I which, guess, which, that was a thing everybody cared about, right? I guess? I don't know. I mean, I was, I'd have, I was interested, but, like, it didn't turn out to be interesting. No. So... I mean, I like. I mean, that's that's always like a thing that like that I definitely would used to be kind of like in the back of my mind, like, oh, Goku never had a mother. Oh, that's that's kind of interesting. Oh well, and I just never thought about it again. I probably wouldn't have lost any sleep at night if like we if we never ended up getting any kind of like uh, info info on that. But anyway, um, but I think overall, I don't know. I think. I don't think the Dragon Ball room idea is I don't think it's a bad idea, but I'm not I'm not going to say, oh, I don't think it's a good idea. Like it's it's just a thing that I think was inevitable. Like you said, it was a thing that really should have happened years ago. Like again, like I said at the beginning, I'm surprised that Shueisha is only now coming up with something like this. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate, you got to keep in mind what Dragon Ball room is. As uh, Iyoku is quoted as saying, in practical terms, you can think of it as handling both the rights and editing. It's basically kind of doing quality control of what comes out of the franchise and kind of, you know, trying to shape the direction the franchise goes in. Like, it's not like they have all these grandiose new products that they want to start doing with Dragon Ball and start pouring out the franchise with a bunch of these, with a bunch of crap. Like, it's really a quality, Dragon Ball Room is really a quality control center for Shueisha to kind of watch over and focus on, like, where the Dragon Ball franchise goes and, like, what sorts of things come out of it and what they can do with it. 
So it's important to keep that in mind. And from that perspective, it's really not that, it's really nothing is that different from what's been happening with the franchise yeah. in the past eight years, other than now we have a, now Shueisha has a quality control center for it. So, and if anything, and I think that, if anything, that's just going to make what comes out of the franchise going forward even better. So, that's my piece on that. Or at the very least, you know, keep things consistent. Exactly. Um, but I think this is one of those wait and see kind of things. Yeah. Ho- hopefully good things come out of it. Yeah. But I, I guess I guess I'm optimistic. I definitely am, because I have no reason not to be. Yeah, that's I agree. Again, I feel the criticism of Dragon Ball Room is overblown and based on misunderstandings, but we've gone over that. So mm. I think we've said our piece on Dragon Ball Room. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's about it. So that was a lot of stuff. Yes. This episode is like three hours long. Oh my god, it's a... We've been recording since 10 a.m. and it's now 11 p.m. 13 hours! Where has my day gone? Hey, hey, Sid, shut up. It's not like... It's not like I went anywhere or anything. I didn't have to go to the zoo, like... Two uh, two and a half hours into the podcast, what are you even talking about? I was suspicious of how long that break you took was. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I hate to give away the magic, but I mean, I told Sid I had to go to the bathroom, and then like, I just, I just didn't come back for like ten hours. So really, like, Sid should have egg, egg on his face. He he should have he like you know he should he should have been suspicious like 2 hours ago uh, like like uh, 8 hours ago when i didn't come back for 2 hours it was funnier when you didn't say all that you should never explain the joke colton <laughs> thank you sid uh that's that's a very big pro- you know what you're i'm, I'm just going to stop the joke there that was a this was a good episode i think hopefully <laughs> okay um i'm still pretty tired actually so uh I think that's I think that about does it for Manga Mavericks this week. Um I'm just, I'm just, I don't know how people feel about long episodes. If you guys like long episodes, tell us or if you don't like what what do you what is your ideal lane for Manga Mavericks? You could send us an email about it. And speaking of emails, we'll get to that in a moment, but here Sid, we're almost done with the episode. Go ahead and uh, tell the good people listening where they can find you. You can find me as at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter, my anime list, and Animation Revelation. And you can look at some of my art on Sid Gupta's awesome art blog. So, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, there you go. Um, as for me, Colton, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. Um, just to go over my other podcast, basically, you want to hear me talk about Gintama, listen to Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. Uh, you want to hear me talk about Toriko, there's the Heavenly Kings podcast. Uh, you want to hear me talk about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, there's One Podcast Prevails, and those are pretty much all the other shows I do. Now, if you want to, you know, f- uh, if you want to f- follow more of what we do on uh, All Comic, as for uh, Manga Mavericks in particular... Uh, you can find more of our podcast at all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. And, um, you know, if you guys have any thoughts on the podcast or 
any any thoughts on uh, manga in general? What are you reading? Uh, what do you think of some of these news stories that we talk about? Uh, what are your thoughts on this new Dragon Ball room? Do you think it's going to ruin the franchise? I don't think it will, but if you think so, uh, go ahead and tell us why. Uh, just just a few examples off the top of my head. Uh, you can you can email us anything about those topics or and more at uh, mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Uh, maybe you won't. I don't know. But we'd appreciate it if you did. Um, to your life, you could do whatever you want. Uh, this has been uh, episode 19 of Manga Mavericks. And uh, we'll see you guys next time for episode 20. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.